From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode. On Sunday Night Heat, William Regal successfully defended his European Championship against D'Lo Brown. Sadly, the day before Judgment Day, Davy Boy Smith, better known as the British Bulldog, passed away as a result of a heart attack, brought on by an enlarged heart. He was 39 years old. Hello, and welcome back once again to Ruthless Aggression Relived. My name is LT Fletcher. Uh, I forgot my name briefly for a second. This is a great start to the episode. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, this is your journey through wrestling history as we go back through WWE's Ruthless Aggression era, that grand old period from 2002 to 2008. Underrated in the annals of wrestling history by the company, but not by the fans, I reckon. And today... I've got a very special guest with me, a special guest co-host, as we go through Judgment Day 2002. Who could it be? It's only New Legacy Inc.'s own Slip Q Slippington. How's it going, buddy? Well, I'm glad that you remembered my name way better than you remembered your own. That's, uh, that's high praise, I suppose. Uh, well, it's one of those things you never have to, you know, it's like the old riddle, isn't it? What's that thing that belongs to you, but everybody else uses it, you know? You... I, I just got rusty using my own name. I guess it's true. It's like, uh, you know everyone else's phone number because you call them, but you never call yourself. Absolutely. Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, sorry for the delay to everyone, that uh, all the listeners out there. Uh, this was supposed to kind of been recorded a, uh, a week ago, but I kind of had a life event come up in the sense that uh, I got this thing called Married. Yeah, a slip decided to have a wedding, the selfish bastard, instead of yeah, appearing on my podcast. God. <laughs> no, honestly, I I would delay this podcast by a month if uh, if it meant that my that my buddy's got to be happy. So I'm a okay with that. And if and if you listening to the show are not okay with that, well, you go and sit in the corner and think about what you've done. Yeah, you wait a month to listen to the show. We'll see you in September. <laughs> Uh, so, before we hop into it, Slip, usually when I have a new voice joining me on the podcast, uh, we kind of run through uh, their wrestling history, like what got them into uh, wrestling, what their earliest memories of it were, things like that. So, uh, what's your origin story, so to speak? Um, I probably have one of the more unique ones that I don't think anyone will ever have. Uh, mm. My, I was probably 
about 12 or 13, uh, lived in a single-parent household, and uh, my mom was going to the video rental shop, and I just asked her to rent me something that looked cool. Hmm. Just, no, nothing. Just I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old kid. What do I know? And she, just, <laughs> really? she brings home, uh, I can't remember which wrestling show it was, but it was a, it was a WCW pay-per-view. It was a, I think it was a Bash at the Beach, like 90, I couldn't even tell you, 96, I think. It was before. The NWO was not on the show, so it had to have been before mm. then. And I just watched that, and I was like, that was kind of cool. I want another one of those. So I just went through the entire uh, Star Video. That was the name of it. They, I went through their entire collection of uh, VHSs, because this was the late 90s, and the DVDs were not a thing yet. So Jeez, just, that, my, that makes me feel old. My mom just saying, I guess I'll like this weird shit. <laughs> Turned out to be on the money. And then here I am now on a podcast. Excellent. Thanks, well, Mom. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in between then and now, I, in case, in case any of our listeners don't know, you've uh, you were one of the original members of New Legacy Inc. the uh, the video game silliness channel that we uh, we run on YouTube, Twitch, and all that good stuff. You're right. I have heard a blame for that too. Jesus. <laughs> in fact, you were one of the original two members. Yeah. Uh... I, I listened to the Johnny episode, and he seemed to, he, he left out the bit where he was having a bit of a lady issue, uh, mm. and was feeling a little down in the dumps, mm. and asked me to go out and buy a video game, uh, SmackDown vs. Raw 2009, mm. so we the could play. One. So I, I walked uh, to the store, uh, the cashier sang Randy Orton's theme song to me as I, I made my purchase. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because I don't know why, I'm just like a... 18-year-old guy just standing at in a Walmart, and this guy's singing, Hey, nothing you can say. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Actually, no, it would have been voices at the time. Whatever. But, yeah. Uh, that was what, how NL started with, uh, with that interaction. So, really, you are the linchpin of, of New Legacy Inc., is what you're trying to say. It's all your fault. I, I am the man of NL, yes. I am the, the linchpin. The, the Becky linchpin. <laughs> Well, it's been a wild ride, and I'm glad that it has led to this moment today, as we hop back in the time machine, ladies and gentlemen, to May 19th. That's a that's a significant date in wrestling, actually. Uh, Kane not on this show. Oh, shit, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> May 19th, 2002, to uh, the Gaylord Entertainment Center in Nashville, Tennessee, in front of 14,521 fans. With a pay-per-view buy rate of 370,000, down 35,000 from the previous year. Ooh, it's Judgment Day 2002. Are you ready to get into this one, buddy? I absolutely am. Uh, it's kind of cool that we were supposed to do this last weekend, where SummerSlam was actually taking place in Nashville. Mm. So, uh, kind of kind of fortuitous that this event would oh, fall yeah. uh, for the podcast around now. Absolutely. Uh, we get a lovely spooky intro with some creepy chanting children. Uh, that were recorded two years ago for Undertaker's return, so they just sat on this footage. If you saw Judgment Day 2001, this footage might be a little bit familiar when, the ta- <laughs> when Taker returned. Just, just reusing it or, over and over. It was 2000, right, not 2001. Hmm. Yeah, we we did the uh, we did an Insurrection 2000 uh, video episode for the Patreon. Oh. And they played pretty much this exact footage on that. So. <laughs> They were just like, ah, that's good. We'll just reuse that repeatedly, I guess. Creepy children in front of a furnace. It just, it just seems yeah. very odd. To if, me. if you got three chanting white girls, you know shit's about to go down. That's basically <laughs> that's true about anything. 
Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler are at ringside to commentate this Tombstones and Gallows-themed pay-per-view, uh, though the grim aesthetic is somewhat let down by the presence of a barber's chair and barber pole. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a bit uh, of an aesthetic change by the uh, the second stage they built up next there. Mm. It's It's like... It's almost like they decided on the hair versus hair thing in advance, because of course they had, Mm -hmm. but didn't realise how much it was going to stick out at the side of, like, the enormous headstone they've got on the top of the stage, so... (laughs) That's true, but I gotta say, I love the custom stages for pay-per-views, so... Yeah, I miss it. it. If it's gotta look like that, it's gotta look like that, I guess, but... Absolutely. I would much rather there be a, a special stage and have a weird barber set up than just have the regular set with... You know, things every sticking out the side. No time messing about. No no time wasted. We are straight in there with an Intercontinental Championship match. Eddie Guerrero and Rob Van Dam going after Eddie, the champ, out first. They kind of went back and forth on that throughout the entire night. Sometimes you'd get champ out first, sometimes you wouldn't. Hmm. Uh, on Sunday Night Heat as well, Regal defended the European Championship against D'Lo Brown, and he was out first as well. I guess we should all... Well, it, it, they're brought up later, but I guess this is a good point, point that this is now a WWE Yes, pay-per-view. this is the, the first pay-per-view under the WWE name. We have officially got the F out. And we'll be bringing that up a couple times. <laughs> we sure will. Uh, you know, good, good sort of back and forth in the early going, good decent fundamentals. Mm-hmm. RVD sort of takes advantage of Eddie's temper to sort of push the advantage. Uh, there's a really fun bit I like where RVD looks like he's going for a sort of a springboard from the the corner, mm-hmm. uh, and Eddie like hits the mat hard to dodge it, but RVD like holds onto the rope so he doesn't actually leap back, and he just sort of goes for the the split legged moonsault off it instead. Yeah. I mean, cool like you take, said, yeah. this with this being the third pay per view match, that sort of spots is set up over those other matches. Oh, so yeah. the the payoff of he probably hit that in the first match and then the second match. Eddie actually ducked it, and RVD actually jumped, and then exactly so the progression. They know, they these these know two they guys do, are that are so good, though. They're brilliant, absolutely. There's a really fun line on commentary. Well, I say fun, but it's it's more like I don't really know what they were going for. Uh, Jerry Lawler says, "I think RVD saw too many of those movies about people kicking each other. What are those movies called?" And JR Mar- says, "Martial arts, movies. martial arts movies." And King just goes, "Oh." oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I I had that written down too because it's just he genuinely just blanked on everything he was trying to think of. It's like he's watched too many of those movies where they kick each other. <laughs> I love when Jerry Lawler like his brain's moving just a little too quick for his mouth, and he's he gives himself the setup for a joke, and he can't think what the punchline's got. Yeah. <laughs> we get uh, Eddie. Eddie switches the momentum in his favor. Um, he sort of begs off into the corner. Um, but catches RVD with a right hand, uh, unloads a bunch of punches and kicks on him and chokes him out. The match slows down a bit here, I thought. Um, Mm -hmm. Although it picks up fairly quickly again. RVD gives the old uh, shoulder thrust monkey flip combo and uh, hits Rolling Thunder, which is always a good way to wake up the crowd. Shoulder thrusts to the back as well, which is unusual. Yeah, like right to the kidney area. I don't think I recall him doing him that often, but yeah. That was a really cool variation, again, to the offense that he's known for doing. Step over heel kick from RVD, goes for the five-star. Eddie leaps to his feet and crotches him on the turnbuckle, and then nails a fairly awkward-looking powerbomb. 
Yeah. Uh, Eddie goes for a frog splash of his own. RVD rolls out of the way. Eddie crashes and burns. RVD responds by almost kicking Eddie's fucking head off with a spin kick. Yeah. Like, really brutal. Like, I'm, we've joked about RVD's kicks before on, on the podcast, but holy mm-hmm. shit, he nearly fucking knocked his fucking shoulders off. RVD goes for the five star once more. Uh, Eddie rolls out of the way, and then it's RVD's turn to hit the mat. They have a bit of a stare down, kick into high gear again, and then have a mid-air collision. Uh, the two trade backslides. Eddie kicks out of RVD's backslide, uh, but when he applies one to RVD, he gets his foot on the ropes to give him the leverage so RVD can't kick out. Picking up the win and retaining the championship at 10-17. Good little opener. Yep. Uh, the, the, they were hyping up the frog splash versus frog splash the entire match. Neither person was ever able to actually hit the frog splash on each other. And no, like it, the the entire basis of the feud is like yeah. who does the better frog splash and, and, and neither of them won with it. Eddie with the scumbag uh, duck a kick backslide roll up. Uh, yeah, the the smoothness of that was unreal. Like oh, RVD did the spin kick, and then like as he turned for the the kick, Eddie gets the arms, slides him down, does the legs on the ropes. Just a beautiful, uh, beautiful pin there. Just two. I mean, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Two of the best to ever do it. Yes. Working with one another, and what more could you want? And like, say you want a good, a good fast-paced match to warm the crowd up to start the night. So good stuff. Uh, I think maybe the previous two encounters they had might have been, maybe a little bit better. Maybe outdid them, but that's like that's not me saying this is bad. It was like ranking them from great to least good. You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um. They probably also weren't pay-per-view openers, so they probably had a little more uh, air to work with absolutely yeah especially on the uk shows because like they they're so relaxed and laid back so for uh for insurrection 2002 they were just sort of like in their element i guess just two high-flying legends of the business doing what they like backstage oh, God. vince mcmahon and stacy keebler in her wrestlemania 19 for the gamecube attire by the way are joined by reverend devon and deacon batista as devon leads the four of them in prayer Devon prays for Stacy's well-being, and while everyone else's eyes are closed in prayer, Vince takes a look at her ass. Uh, Stacy, obviously knowing the script, is trying her very hardest not to corpse at this. Yeah. Devon refers to his employer as Prophet Vince. Well, Mister Prophet, but you didn't see the events of the other week coming, did you, you <laughs> dickhead? I was about to say uh, Vince going out of his way to just misogynistically. Uh ogle at one of his employees a uh, mm. little bit of life imitates art I think <laughs> yeah, I that almost fell here. on the nose really <laughs> all of this is being done in front of a gallows pole by the way uh, yes. they, they constructed a uh, a noose uh, and gallows backstage and, I, for... and I'm going to be honest this thing looks flimsy as hell oh absolutely it, it was definitely <laughs> like a, a $10 trip to Home Depot Absolutely, yeah. Just like a couple of nails, a few two by fours, some rope, job done. But no, um, not nails. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but as you pointed out, um, <laughs> it's kind of an unfortunate backdrop for a lot of the backstage segments tonight. <laughs> the two it shows up in. <laughs> Although, admittedly, it does sort of line up quite well with Vince. Like there is a noose behind him as as they're sort of. Framed. Yes. Just unfortunate that, as uh, as you pointed out to me on Discord when you were watching this, it also lines up quite well with Devon and Booker, which is a little unfortunate. Yes, it is. 
So, uh, after that, after we are all filled with love and prayer and the love of the Lord our God is now flowing freely within us, mm-hmm. it's time for the WWE Women's Championship match as Trish Stratus defends against Stacey Keebler. Champ out first again! Yep. Uh, as, as Trish is in the ring to keep up with the uh, the Christly spirit, uh, Jerry Lawler says she loves spilling her heart out. Look at her. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are rapidly entering that era. We are. Trish's outfit is very sparkly. It's 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 yes. real cute. GG Trish. Uh, Lola is reduced to like a variety of squeaking noises, like a chew toy that's been dropped down the stairs. Yes. Uh, appropriately enough, Devon and Batista enter the arena to a level of silence usually reserved for church. <laughs> uh, yep. Devon does not yet have uh, "Please call my name" or no. This thing it's, it's just like an organ, uh, organ tune. There's no lyrics or anything. Yeah, so we're very early in the Reverend Devon uh, character. I think this is this theme's probably okay, like for promos and stuff. Like if he came out to do a sermon to this, yeah, this, this it would work. This would be good but, backdressing. Yes, but like for an entrance theme, it's. Oh, it's it's not there. There's no so. there's no lift to it. It's very, no. it makes the crowd react the way they did tonight. Yeah, no such problem for Bubba Ray Dudley though, who enters in Trisha's corner, roaring at his brother, "Thou shalt not lie." So, Trish comes out first. Yes, by herself. Yes. Then <laughs> Stacy comes out to Kid yes. Rock's legs. Yes. By herself. Yes. Then Devon and Batista come out <laughs> with as. Part of Stacy's entourage. <laughs> yeah. Then Bubba comes. Then Bubba. <laughs> they all got separate entrances. I just want to point that out. So weird. So, as we've come to expect on this podcast, this is a short one. Stacy nails the Keebler kick less than 10 seconds into the match and picks up the win. No? Yep. No, not no that. No, j- just a two count? Okay, fair enough. Oh. Fair, fine, fair enough. Well, uh, actually, it was a one two count because Chad Patton was on it tonight. He was on fucking fire. Uh, Trish gets Stacy in a Boston Crab because leg long, but Stacy <laughs> rolls through into a pin, which Trish then counters into a, another pin of her own, which was quite a nice little sequence, I thought. Yeah. Uh, less nice was a fairly ugly sequence where Trish hit Stacy with a chick kick and Stacy fell through the ropes really fucking awkwardly to the outside. She's okay because she has like a really funny comedy tantrum, but oh my god, she landed awkwardly off that. Yeah, I thought that that was done really well though. I mean, it seemed like she was supposed to go through and uh, Bubba just leans down next to her and just goes, ha 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 ha. Just laughs right at her. I know. Because he's the dick. good guy. Yeah, Bubba's the baby face in this, allegedly. I suppose it's, you know, it, it, fair enough, you know, he did have a bit of a falling out with her a few months ago at WrestleMania, so fair's fair. I mean, the falling out was him putting her through a table, I'm pretty well, sure. I mean, you know, if you want to look at the small details <laughs> like that, fine, make him out to be the bad guy. I, do you know, it is kind of weird how it's like, oh, Bubba Ray Dudley, he sure does like he sure does like putting women through tables. What a, what a silly lad. Oh, what a cheeky chappy. Oh, he just, you know, he has a split personality that, you know, shows up from time <laughs> to time, and then it just causes them to just start abusing everyone around him, you know. Just the acceptable face of misogyny, you know, Bubba Dudley. Uh... Stacy slaps Bubba and immediately regrets this. 
Uh, as the referee's yelling at Bubba, though, Batista body slams the shit out of Trish. <laughs> yeah. And because, like, because Trish is so small and Batista's fucking massive, obviously, it just looks like murder. Yes. It, uh, I believe uh, JR calls it a deep crotch uh, slam or suplex <laughs> later on in the, the match. Which does not make it sound good. No, uh, Lawler, of course, makes it sound like he just got stepped on as a dog toy. Ah! <laughs> uh, there's a point where Tracy... Uh, Tracy? Oh, God, I've combined oh. it. Tracy Trish... Brooks? <laughs> How did I miss that? That's the wrong company. It's not even been set up yet. Uh, Trish gives Stacy a pump kick, and she falls right on her backside. Then she baseball slides Batista. Batista <laughs> gets on the apron, and here's where he... <laughs> I, I, right, I love this. Stacy goes to throw a clothesline at Trish. Trish ducks, and Stacy hits Batista, and he absolutely does not fucking sell it at all. He just no. looks at her like, what was that supposed to be? I mean, he, he powders down, but it's like, what what was that? Yeah, but Bubba sort of like sweeps his legs. It's not caught on camera very well. Oh, that's right. It was Bubba um, that came over. Trish, that. Trish nails Bulldog, picks up the win at 254. Yep, not uh, a springboard, just a regular Bulldog. No, not, not the Stratisfaction, just a generic uh, up and A on the Nintendo GameCube. Yep, and uh, Devon chases Trish, but she gets the hell out of there with her title. Yep. Uh, for 254, all right, but what can you do in that time frame, honestly? You really can't do much. I mean, they, they fit in they fit in their, their kick spots, and they got the outside interference in, and basically this match felt like it was set up for the post-match and the outside bit more than it was for the yes, women's title. Yes, because after the match, the Dudley boys have a stare down. Devon offers Bubba his hand, and Bubba accepts. Yeah. Which almost leads to him being attacked by Batista from behind. Ooh, that fiend. Uh, but as he fights off Batista, Devon attacks Bubba, uh, which uh, allows Batista to put the boots in. Devon seems to have a crisis of conscience, but he very quickly gets over it and tells yes. Batista to get the tables. Uh, Devon tells Bubba he'll make him see the light. Batista goes to powerbomb Bubba, so this was very nearly the first ever Batista bomb. I was curious uh, if it was, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bubba counters, gets Devon like pinned in the corner. Bubba genuinely looks like he's about to fucking kill Devon here. He looks frightening. Uh, Batista makes a save, absolutely blasting Bubba in the head with the collection box. Uh, and then a double flapjack puts Bubba through the table. Uh, Devon's theme music adding a somewhat funereal quality to the visual <laughs> of Bubba through the table there. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Bubba's just laid out through the wood. Uh, JR says this is like a sacrament of the Dudley boys. Uh, Devon looked at his hands and said, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And then like 10 seconds later, continues to do this. <laughs> Devon advises Bubba that, quote, Sinning is wrong. Oh, it's wrong. Fair enough. I mean, true. Tr yes, true. I don't think you'd have many people that would argue that sinning is not wrong. They might argue that sinning is fun. That's a different matter. But, you know, it's a different conversation for a different character to have. I have in my notes, uh, there should be a word that says it's oh, that's stronger than wrong. Like, bad wrong, or badong. <laughs> yes, sinning is badong. And from now on, Reverend Devon will stand for the opposite of badong. Or Gnodab. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh, I will always I find a way to fit Kung Pao references in I, anything I, I do. I wondered when we were going to get the first one on the history of this podcast. I hope there are more to come. <laughs> Stay uh, tuned, listeners. Nothing in my notes for this show, but we'll see. 
We'll see. Uh, backstage in his office, Ric Flair discusses his upcoming match to his friend Arn Anderson. In walks none other than Vince. Arn Anderson looking the same as he did in 1988 and today yeah. in 2022. Yeah. Somehow. I think he might have drank from the like the cup of you know eternal youth or whatever. Yeah, or the, the, the cup of eternal middle-aged, perhaps. Yeah, that's what they say. The side effect is you will look 40 when you're 20. The, <laughs> the, the benefit is you will look 40 when you're 60. Right. That's a fair trade-off, in fairness. Uh, in light of Flair revealing his true colours, Vince is perfectly happy to extend the hand. And Flair accepts it. Flair tells Vince he was right all along and doesn't know how he could have ever second-guessed Vince. He was, uh, he was right all along about Austin, specifically. Flair declares he'll take Austin down and the two of them share a hug, although they're both pretty sickened in the aftermath. Although, admittedly, I mean, if I just hugged a sex pest, I'd probably be a second as well. I, I was going to say, Vince did not check out Flair's ass. I mean, where's the, the, the balance here? <laughs> oh, God, that's giving me a really horrible visual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just imagining Ric Flair in Stacey Keebler's outfit. Now, no, get it out of there, get it out, no, yeah, no. Vince looking down and then biting his lower lip and looking up at God and saying, thank you. <laughs> Or making sexual face. Oh, Jesus. The nature boy is the Duchess of Dudleyville. Uh, yeah, that's good <laughs> shit. Jesus. Oh, my God. Right then, into the next match. We've got tag team action, ladies and gentlemen, but not quite in the way you might expect, as the yes. Hardy Boys take on Brock Lesnar and his tag team partner, Paul Heyman. Yep. Uh, 20 mm. years uh, before he brought a tractor to Nashville, he brought a tracksuit to Nashville. <laughs> Paul Heyman Brilliant. wearing his Adidas best, looking like the best uh, Russian mobster he could. <laughs> uh, Jeff comes out wearing midriff bearing gear. Ooh, you big tart, Jeff. Ooh. Brock, ladies and gentlemen, finally has his weird noise in his intro, but it's still the shit theme. It's so close. Yeah, I so was, close. I was thinking, there. I'm like, oh god, they have the intro, and oh. <laughs> Give him another couple of months, we'll be spot on. Fun uh, fact, though, uh, that mm-hmm. intro, like the, the Brock song you know, was actually already used by the WWF at the time in a different manner. Uh, really? It was the, uh, the intro song for the Chicago Enforcers of the XFL. Oh! Okay. I think they're called the Enforcers, but yeah, if you go back and find like an old 2001 XFL game, uh, if it's a Chicago home game, you'll hear the team come out to the Brock Lesnar song, which is weird. Wow, that's crazy. Particularly so since ha- Brock is not from Chicago. Yeah, they have it in the library. They just got to give it to him. Mm. And it's a damn good fit as well. It, it it's Brock's oh. theme is the theme of someone who is about to be your executioner. Yeah, it, it's top ten all time themes. Let's be honest. Hell here. yeah. Tell, honestly, it tells you everything you need to know about the character, which is specifically, you are about to get hurt. Yes. Uh, there's a cool spot before Brock even gets in the ring. Jeff launches himself at Brock. Uh, Brock catches him in midair, and then Matt Baseball slides through the ropes, and the sort of weight and momentum shoves Brock over, which was quite fun. I mean, this is standard early Brock Lesnar match. Mm-hmm. The only difference is there's two opponents instead of one. Uh, Brock is absolutely beating the tar out of them. Brock sort of... There's there's a bit quite early on where the Hardys chase Heyman into the corner, but Brock comes from behind, clotheslines them both, right. and then just takes it in turns, folding them in two with uh, oh, yeah. various shoulder thrusts and suplexes. 
Yeah. Uh, JR says on commentary, Heyman is a human urinal. <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple things I have here before we get too far away from it. Uh, they mm-hmm. mentioned on commentary, like around the intros, uh, they're wishing Lita well. She, this is right after she broke her neck yes. during yes. Uh, Dark Angel, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Fox TV show at the time. So you'll yeah, be seeing her on Heat's uh... commentary sometime soon. Yeah, oh, gosh. By the end I of the year, contain I contain my excitement. You, you mean to say that they're going to replace Raven, but he's so good. Uh, I, I, I genuinely do not remember Raven ever doing commentary, so that's... Yeah. Huh. He's... It's a weird one. He's like half in character, half not, sort of. Weird. Very. Uh, we get a rather strange moment in the match, and it's not... Um, it's not something the wrestlers do, it's something the fans do. The fans chant Goldberg at Brock. Oh, what the hell? Now, I think that's a bit fucking rich. Particularly because Brock literally lost a match on Raw, and what is the one thing that we know about Goldberg? He won for ages. Goldberg won, won forever until a name redacted no longer works here. Uh, brought the stun gun out. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, other than other than being muscular, Brock doesn't have anything in common with Goldberg, so I think that's a very strange sort of thing to chant at him. That, that also reminds me, uh, one of the signs in the crowd that I saw was an R.I.P. Davy Boy sign. He died the day before yes. the show. Uh, yeah. And no graphic for him, no, which I thought was No, nothing at all was mentioned on the show for I, Davy Boy Smith. I assume there will be one on the following episode of Raw. I hope so. The dude deserves I, cause, it. Because if though. not, that's really wrong. He's all-timer. Absolutely. Good old Davy Boy. He mm-hmm. fell on his fucking ass. <laughs> No, David, but he fell on his face. Pay <laughs> What's the difference, really? Nothing. Uh, King says Brock has no neck, and rather strangely, JR agrees. <laughs> Which is a bit weird. It's like, well, he's got no neck, and he's got, uh, he's got no, 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 no kindness, no patience about it. It's like, no, you're not meant to agree with him. That's just a cunty thing to say. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful tornado DDT from Matt, mm. while Heyman makes parrotesque Brock. Brock noises. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gilbert Gottfried esque. I have written down. <laughs> Iago Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> God no. <laughs> Jafar, I want you to meet my client, Aladdin. Maybe not. No. Uh, we get the flippy dippy doodah kick from Jeff that I can't remember the name of, uh, followed by the ow my ass jawbreaker uh, and a double leg drop from both brothers. Brothers can't speak. Uh, Whisper in the Wind stuns Brock, uh, and Matt clotheslines him out of the ring. Uh, so the two brothers close in on Heyman, and JR announces it's a good thing Heyman is wearing dark pants and insinuates he has done a shat. Now listen here, Jim, we've all heard the story on Bruce Pritchard's podcast. You don't get to call the kettle black pants. <laughs> Heyman is the recipient of the world's safest punches and Whisper in the Wind. Like what do you I don't, mean? I I think there was a fucking mile between those hands and his head, no, which is fair enough. No, everything on this show is very snug and done very well. <laughs> There's no moves that happened on Judgment Day 2002 that were loose or done poorly. None. This None. is not foreshadowing that will be mentioned later whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, Brock gets back in the ring Jeff leaps at him with a crossbody gets caught and then Brock sort of overbalances and Jeff picks up a two which was absolutely as awkward as fuck by the way 
Brock decides to throw Jeff at Matt and then cunts Jeff into oblivion with an F5. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heyman begs for the tag. Brock obliges. Heyman gets into the ring, trips over the middle rope, <laughs> which is Brilliant. the final. It's a, just cherry on top. Absolutely. Uh, c- covers Jeff, picks up the win at 447. Uh, pretty reasonable for what it was, but personally, I am kind of over this feud now, and I'm looking forward to the next stage of Brock's push, which is so much more interesting. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is established. Brock, he's a mo- is a monster. He's yeah. destroying the fan favorites. Uh, sure. I mean, Jeff and Matt Hardy are you know established you know uh, fan favorites ever since pretty much their debut. I don't think they they've not neither one of has has had a heel run in 2002 yet. Not so, at this point, I'm fairly yeah. sure now. So they're well, they might maybe whenever they're doing the, like the. The Michael P.S. Hayes era, but that's so long ago at this we point. We don't like to talk about that. Exactly. But <laughs> we pretend that's The Hardy Boys sense. are so over, so Brock, you know, dismantling them establishes him as a monster, which is what they want. Sure. Uh, and they're not they're not a pair of jobbers either. They are, no, they are these are established name tag names. Yes. Yeah. So, so him I going mean, over them is a big deal. Mission accomplished on making Brock Lesnar the next big thing. I, I remember absolutely shatting myself seeing this dude... <laughs> And uh, 20 years later, pretty much still there. So Yeah, yeah. H- how little things change. <laughs> Backstage, Mark Lloyd asks Booker T what he feels about becoming the newest member of the New World Order. Uh, Booker's language is interesting because he kind of suggests he's joined the NWO because Fla- uh, Flair is the boss, not necessarily because he's aligned with them, right. which is kind of their way of letting the audience know he's not really a heel and it is okay to cheer him still. Uh, suddenly, there is a lady nearby. Uh, Booker starts flirting with her, and she gives him her hotel room key. Booker responds by acting like a horny teenager. Now, Presumably, Charmel was told not to watch this one, <laughs> Booker is the dumbest man in wrestling, cheating yes. on his girlfriend to an audience of millions. Now, LT, a backstage at a WWE event, I imagine, has high security clearance. Sure. Uh, you have to have press ba- or badges, press badges, mm. some, some manner to get in and out. Absolutely. Who the hell is this? How did she get there? What is she doing? Is she only there because book she wants to have sex with Booker T? Why is this happening? I think that's a justifiable way to live your life, Slip. If you you know if you're going to sit here and disparage people who want to have sex with Booker T, then you know I think that's going to be a long conversation. Oh, not follow, me personally. Who the hell is Mark Lloyd? Because <laughs> I have Booker T promo with question mark question mark question mark question mark. I've never seen this man before in my life. Who is he? Did they just pull someone out of the crowd to ask Booker T this question? I genuinely don't think he ever shows up again. Do I need to look on a milk carton for a missing persons ad? That's all I have for this this person. You're like the third person I've had on the podcast that has no recollection of Mark Lloyd's existence. He just... He just phased in and out of reality after this show. Mark Lloyd hosted uh, Afterburn, or Bottom Line, or possibly both of them. So in Britain, we saw a lot more of him than you guys probably did in America, because that was sort of our sort of like version of the syndicated shows. Um, but yeah, he's not really one of the regulars in terms of backstage interviews. Uh, but yes, so Booker T takes the hotel room key, and I'm sure we'll never see him again on this show. Oh, absolutely not. Or maybe he'll be the most talked about thing on this show later to come. Oh, God. I <laughs> we get some very brief 
and very obvious product placement for Gillette, the greatest a male may acquire. So up next we have a handicap match, ladies and gentlemen. Two on one. We have The Big Show and Ric Flair teaming up against all Stone Cold Steve Austin. This one... The, like, okay, the video package for this one has a really fucking brutal moment in it. And I don't know... Maybe you've spotted this. Big, uh, Big Show complains about... Uh, this year's WrestleMania, he was at the World or WWF New yes. York, as it was at the time. And he complains about picking up the ugly kids of the fans, and then they show footage of him picking up a child who was probably yes. fucking devastated to see that. Yep. Like, uh, Big Show thinks I'm ugly, oh my god! Well, to be fair, that kid probably doesn't understand words yet, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, and to Big Show's credit, that kid was kind of ugly. Uh, Jesus. I hope I, he's listen, I hope he's listening to this podcast right now after having <laughs> dealt with the trauma of the big show calling him ugly, only to have it relived again because you brought it up, LT. Really, you you're want, the monster here. If you, if you'd like to complain about anything you hear in this evening's podcast, please contact us on our complaints uh, help, le- help desk on Twitter at New Legacy Slip at Dual Three Thousand. <laughs> uh, we right before we actually before we get into this one, I gotta say. Flair not looking too bad in no? terms of in terms of his ring shape. Um, bearing Consider- in mind, less than a year ago, he was so ashamed of the condition he'd let himself get into that he was wrestling in a t-shirt. Yep, and he's looking pretty all right here. So good for him, honestly. Well, considering I also we also just had the Ric Flair's last match uh, event in 2022, oh where he was again in the t-shirt. Uh, mm. So, going from that to this show looks spectacular. It's so weird how... And I'm not saying this to be awful or anything. It's just how it is. Flair... You you talk about Arn Anderson aging unusually. Flair Mm -hmm. aged quite unusually as well. Because he was like... I guess kind of middle-aged for most of his run. And then all of a sudden, after like a year in WWE, he becomes 900 years old. (laughs) Yeah. So Ric Flair now looks very different to Ric Flair in a year's time. It's True. very strange. Uh, good sort of uh, fast-paced brawling from Austin to start things off. Like he, he, despite the fact this is a handicap match, Austin looks really strong in the early uh, going here. I'm, uh, I'm curious because uh, don't I don't mean to backtrack again, but because you said in a year's time he looks so rough. The evolution, because he lives the evolution lifestyle. I mean, oh, that's God, not too much just... of a gimmick. That might no. actually be a cause as to why Ric Flair kind of deteriorates. <laughs> a contributing fact. <laughs> tries to go out with Randy Orton every night. Jesus. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Because no way would he be able to keep up with 24-year-old Orton or however old he was at the time. Jesus. Wait, who's Randy Orton? I don't know who that is yet. We're, we're... <laughs> he, he's that He's that perky young rookie on SmackDown who Bob Holly has... Ooh, ooh, he's got it out for him. Ooh, that rookie. Ooh, that Bob o- uh, Bob Orton? Bob Holly. <laughs> I, fucking hell. I don't know. I'm confusing. There's too many Bobs, damn it. More, uh, less there's, Bobs. <laughs> there's a really fun moment early on in this. Uh, Austin puts Big Show in the figure four leg lock. Mm-hmm. Um, turns around as he sees Flair coming for him. Breaks the hold on Big Show. Puts Flair in the figure four. Yes. And then goes, Whoa! <laughs> Now, I mean, yeah, that was great, but this really felt like a waste of Austin's time. It's it, in a way, yeah. I I'm gonna be honest. This this whole feud, it feels like 
because obviously they've settled on, you know, Brock's going to be the next top star, so we need yeah. to build up Brock. Uh, we've got Undertaker and Hogan feuding over the belt, and it kind of leaves Austin out in the cold. Yeah, He's not really doing anything, so it's like, oh, well, we'll just rehash Austin Vince, but we'll have Austin Flair instead. I'm sure that will be great. Mm-hmm. And it's not been so hot. Like, the, the Flair heel turn probably should have come, like, six weeks sooner than it did. Yeah. The whole thing's been strung along really slowly. I'm gonna be honest. This is the match that kind of I kind of started to lose a little bit on because it drags a little bit longer. Mm. It, it's given like the most time of any match up to this point. Yes. Uh, it's it's just like I mean Austin is kind of just prodding around with Big Show, who's not exactly a kind of guy that Austin can you know uh, brawl with. Mm. So I, I it just this one just didn't hit for me. I get the feeling that the handicap match scenario was kind of put in there almost to protect Flair. Because Flair's only in for like a minute or so at a time, and then Big Show comes in to do the work with Austin. And Big Show and Austin have reasonable chemistry. They've done, you know, they've done some good stuff in the past. But at the same time, I don't feel like Big Show versus Austin is particularly exciting enough at this point. I feel like Austin, still the number one star in the industry, let's face it, should Mm -hmm. be doing something more exciting than rehashing shit with Big Show and having a feud with the Crypt Keeper, you know. Yeah. Uh, Things like every time Austin was up on Flair, Big Show would always be intervening, uh, Mm. interfering, throwing either Austin off or dropping an elbow or doing something. It just felt like I was... Everything was just happening repeatedly over and over again. Yeah. Uh, Austin's uh, offense was okay. Like, the figure four stuff was some of the best he had going. Mm. And, uh... But... It just was slow motion. Yeah, like like you say, there's a lot of spots in this. It kind of feels like they're rehashing bits that they've just done a couple of minutes ago. Yep. Uh, Austin does get some good comedy in, though. He's he's really showing his comedy shops in this one. Like, obviously, we had the, the woo. And then shortly after that, Austin goes to get a chair from ringside. <laughs> Referee yes. Charles Robinson orders him to hand it over. And Austin does so. And then brings another chair into the ring, and Robinson's looking at him like, what are you fucking doing? Get rid of that. Austin yep. sets the chair up and sits on it, and yep. then looks up at Charles Robinson and flips him off. Yeah. Uh, I They mentioned that Ric Flair might have intimidated the referee with his position of power, not even mm. mentioning that it's Lil Nate Charles Robinson at all. Yeah, that's really weird. Because he, are... he's, he's kind of Flair's personal referee almost. Yes. Particularly even, in WCW. Yeah, even I guess since that was WCW, they didn't want to, you know, I bring guess. that up because it, the audience really isn't the same. Yeah, considering the drop off, like you mentioned, thirty five percent off. Yeah, just ridiculous. Uh, Austin throws the chair over the top rope and only realizes after he's done so he probably should have looked where he was throwing it. So he kind of <laughs> glances over his shoulder and he's like, "Okay, didn't hit anyone. Good. There's no lawsuits tonight." Uh, Austin flips off Flair, and Show goes, "You can't do that to him." So Austin flips him off, and Show like reacts in pain, like he's suffered emotional damage. Yeah, he sells the flip off. Uh, Austin goes to grab a beer because he's that bored of Show and Flair just wasting time. I think uh, I also went to grab a beer, and I don't drink. <laughs> Eventually, uh, Flair smacks the shit out of Austin with his patented Nature Boy backhand chops. Uh, Austin. Returns Which, yep, with uh, his Flair chops get the woos, as you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, Austin's chops don't make as good a sound, because he's not had like 30 years of practice. But oh. they do, however, look as though they might cave Flair's chest in, so there is oh. that. 
I'm sorry, could you hear the chops? Because all I heard was, what, 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 <laughs> oh God, what, what, what? We do get a bit what? where they're kind of trading punches and we get a dueling, woo, what, chant. I mean, Austin just fired off chops in the corner. Why, 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 what? Like <laughs> fucking Kobashi over here. <laughs> like, suddenly the audience forgot what wrestling was and they were very inquisitive as to what everything was going on. Big Show is in a good mood on this one. He he is a laughy boy. Uh, at one point, Flair punches Austin in the balls, and Big Show is overheard going, <laughs> And not long after that, Big Show power slams Austin, and as he gets out of the ring, Big Show just goes, <laughs> like, a, like a fairy tale giant that's stole a, a villager's like, supply of meat for the next year or something. Which, in fact, would you know sort of be... Connected to JR saying that Big Show has a hand like a honey-baked ham. Uh, yeah. It's specifically honey-baked. It specifically honey-baked. Yeah. Weird. Uh, Flair and Show work on Austin's legs to try and make sure that the little leg part of the stickman icon turns red before they apply the submission <laughs> hold. Uh, Flair tags in, goes for the figure four. Austin counters with a roll-up. Uh, Flair goes for the hold again and gets it. Uh, there's a really weird bit where Austin kind of almost gives away that wrestling is bullshit. Uh, he pulls on Ric Flair's foot, and then I think he kind of realizes, oh wait, no, that should make the move hurt more, so he just kind of lets go. <laughs> Flair looks over at JR and shouts, Ross! Uh, but JR is apparently not looking, so he just decides not to finish the thought. Oh, that's what he was saying. I, I didn't even... <laughs> couldn't figure out. I thought he was screaming. Austin does manage to get Flair over and reverse the pressure, but Show breaks the hold. They slap one another about again before Austin hits the ugliest spinebuster ever on the man who cannot land on his spine. No, everything's snug on this show. Yeah. Uh, Austin locks in the figure four. Show breaks it up. Uh, Show tags in after threatening to squash Austin, move over established stars. Austin dives at him from the second rope with a Fez press, and then hits one on Flair. Another really dogshit spinebuster from Austin to Flair gets him a two, uh, which is a little bit odd because Flair is not the legal man at this point, but never mind. <laughs> and then, here comes X-Park for an easy payday. Oh, Austin boy. gives Show a stunner, then goes for a second, and as he turns to like put his arms around him and like sort of looks the other way, he sees X-Park come in, Ducks the ensuing superkick. Show doesn't, so Show gets hit by the superkick. Austin then gives X-Pac a stunner, then gives Flair a stunner, covers him, picks up the win at 15 minutes and 36. So, that that finishing sequence, I want to read it again. Mm -hmm. Austin stuns Show. Show does not go down. Stays on his feet. Yes. Maybe maybe goes to a knee, but he does not go down. Uh, Austin looks to do a second stunner. X-Pac is running in, does the super kick, Austin ducks, X-Pac's super kick knocks out Big Show. <laughs> X-Pac is canon stronger than Austin. <laughs> that is, uh, but by and large, the truth. X-Pac <laughs> knocked out Big Show more than once a stunner did. Well, it's those educated martial artist feet, you know. Uh, you know, educated one of those movies where they kick each other feet. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> This was this was kind of not anything special. Um, no, I did like the comedy in it. Like Austin's, people forget that Austin is very funny and his comic timing's great. This 
I hate to say it, almost feels like it could have been a real main event. Oh, uh, beyond that, yeah, it absolutely could have. But uh, I suppose, in fairness, as a as a headline, Ric Flair and Big Show versus Stone Cold, that is a pay-per-view match. It's just they didn't particularly deliver a pay-per-view match, you know? No, I mean, it, this just shows that the, the Austin booking is going is going downhill. Mm. Uh, the NWO booking is already suspect, and it's not going to get much better. Spoilers oh, for it, future episodes of this mess. particular podcast. Mm. Because, uh, as I mentioned by name detected earlier, Hall is gone. Yes. So, uh, that's uh, a mess in and of itself. Just, none of the people in this match need to be in the position that they're in right now. Mm. Flair may be the most fitting because... He's uh, he's uh, almost uh, getting the most out of it, despite losing. Yeah, a heel authority figure is always more interesting than a face one. Sure, unless so, you're Teddy Long, player. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we see him later on. We uh, do! <laughs> I was quite excited about that. But yeah, I, I could have gone without the this match, especially being 1536. Sure. If you it's wanted to do comedy spots, that's fine, but you did not need to go 1536. No, and we've already had two short matches, so it, could you not have chopped off five minutes and given that to the ladies, maybe? That's, oh, absolutely. Especially if, since the match preceding it, the Lesnar-Heyman tag team was essentially a handicap match, but sure. it made Lesnar look like a monster. And then you have this match where Austin... Uh, just slowing down and being beat upon for big by Big Show, interrupting every five seconds. Yeah. Michael Cole and Taz are here to talk about the next match featuring SmackDown wrestlers. What's that? You want them to commentate the match? Absolutely not. Why would we let them do that? That would be silly. <laughs> uh, I have a great bit here because they're, they're referencing the upcoming match, the Edge and Angle match, uh, Hair mm. versus Hair. Uh, they talk about Taz's hairstyle being his choice, but then the embarrassment... <laughs> my the lifestyle, embarrassment my choice, brother. bald. And then Taz says, then you're going to get put in that chair and... All your hair's going to be gone. <laughs> I do why love is, Cole... Why are they shaving each other's heads with a motorcycle? That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> I do love that Cole basically just called Taz a big, shiny-headed, baldy bastard slaphead <laughs> fuck to his face. And Taz was like, yeah, brother, that's right. I got a little mohawk, though. Not to, say, not to mention, Taz is not bald. <laughs> no, he's not even bald. He's got a mohawk. <laughs> I like how, how Cole says it. Like, ladies and gentlemen, Taz is bald by choice, and you will respect his choice to be bald. Also, you just watched a match with a bald man in it, but put that out of your mind. And you've been cheering for a bald man for the last five years as the <laughs> biggest star this company's ever seen. Fucking exactly. Uh, we get a shot of uh, the barber chair and the barber himself, and boy, oh boy, does he look bored as fuck. Geraldo Rivera, good to see him getting a payday tonight. <laughs> so up next then, we have Kurt Angle versus Edge in a hair versus hair match. Gosh, I wonder who's gonna win this one. Well, not to give anything away, mm. but seeing Kurt Angle with hair is really fucking weird. It's it's odd, isn't it? <laughs> he, he's been bald in, in, in terms of his... In terms of his career, he's been bald longer than he's had hair at this point. Oh yeah, we I do. Mean, we do have that little moment in TNA where he had the the Homer Simpson hair, you know, just going around the back of the head. True, and that was the worst Kurt. That was that was dark timeline Kurt. <laughs> um, and I I do think it's interesting how as soon as he came back to WWE, immediately he is bald and clean shaven again. Clearly, Vince was like, "You are going to shave that off because you look a wreck." I I think we got through this without giving away the ending. 
<laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, I, I listen. Anyone listening to this knows how they, how this one's yeah. going to end. Realistically. Regardless of that, but if, even yeah. though you know the ending, this match fucking oh, rules. Good. Oh, it's good. Uh, genuinely, like this is one of those where the journey is better than the destination. You yes. Know? Uh, what do we think about Kurt's gear? It's Kurt Angle Gear Watch. Uh. Dog shit is the first word that comes to mind. <laughs> it's not one of his uh, better ones. Dreadful. Just, uh, a distinct ha- lack of blue. On yeah, his red, it, white it, is, blue. it is. The, you, it is there's, a red there's nothing singlet. breaking up the red other than yeah. the, the letter A. It's really weird. Well, the, the A is also red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a diamond background. Kind of like yes. Superman's crest. So there's that. Super, super mangle. Yes. Ah, oh, yes. I'm a comedy master. Well, uh, as, that, that needs to get cut. <laughs> as well Edit, as Kurt Angle Gear Watch. that out. As well as Kurt Angle Gear Watch, we have Kurt Angle Package Watch. Because he oh. looks like he's ready to take someone's eye out when he comes out on stage. I have to say. <laughs> uh, I suck. Ab- suck this. <laughs> Absolutely no fucking about with this match. They are straight no. into it. Yes. Some angry lockups. I've never seen a collar and elbow so fucking vicious in my life. I, I mean, just fucking amazing. Just the magic you get with these two. Uh, there's a bit fairly early into the match. Uh, Kurt gets tied up in the ropes. Yes. Edge spears him. So obviously Kurt can't in any way protect himself. Yeah. He has to just take the spear full onto the gut. Looks yeah. amazing. Arms uh, get Edge, detached from the ropes. Yeah. Edge goes for it again. But Kurt breaks free and gives him a belly-to-belly over the top rope to the outside. Holy mother of fuck. It looks so fucking and horrendous, but so good. The camera angle they cut to as that happens is the one where it's kind of like where they're, the, you're behind the barricade. So you just see Edge fall out of the view and just hear this thunderous oh, smack. Just a splat. And, like, you don't, like, they don't go to a ringside view where you can watch him fall down. He just falls out of view and then you just hear the contact. It is <laughs> disgusting. And this is like in the opening two minutes. It's, it's almost worse for the fact you don't get a good shot of it because it leaves your imagination to fill in the blanks. They, they double feature it later and you see the, the contact. It's, it's, and I it, mean, it's, it a, it's an over, it the, look over the top sure. be, overhead belly to belly, which mm. there was a surprising amount of in this match. There was. Like, both of them are throwing one yes. another around, like, the, these two guys are so good. Uh, they're incredible. And the fact that I'm sure that they're friends makes them yes. able to do the things they do to each other in this match. Well, I mean, they, they both sort of broke into the WWF around the same time. They're both close friends. They train together. Yeah. Uh, team Ace. I, I just... Absolutely. T- you know, Team team Eck, Team ECK, or Team Wreck when Rhino was with them. Just fucking great. Uh, there's a bit, a very strange line on commentary. Uh, King says Edge has a strange shaped head like a dinosaur. <laughs> and JR asks, compared to what? A normal human? Which is weird enough as a response. <laughs> but then King responds, and he can't even keep his fucking composure. He's like, compared to your bowling ball like head? <laughs> and JR is very sad as a result of this. Yeah, they go on about, like, you got weird bumps on your head that you don't even are there. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so weird. It's like, uh, if you lose your hair, you are an alien. You are a Martian. <laughs> you are weird. Never mind the fact that Stone Cold has just been out here. Jerry Lawler's been losing his hair for the past 30 years. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> oh, don't worry. King King fucking... Uh, JR gets King back for that little bowling ball quip. Uh, JR first, though, calls Kurt and Edge young lads. Yes. Uh, King says WWF and then goes, did I say WWF? Sorry, I meant WWF. I mean WWF. I mean yeah, WWE! WWE. I love WWF. the WWE! Oh, Please yeah. watch the WWE! Stop yelling at me, it's the WWE! <laughs> And then he's like, oh, JR, you gotta tell me when I say it wrong. Like, yeah. Say it right instead. I'm sure by now, I, I don't have it in my notes, but we've had to have had at least the first Get the F Out ad at this point. Oh, we've had plenty, yeah. I mean, we get one during the course of the show as well. We get, I get um, two. We, we've had the, the lady doing her gardening. Yes. And we've had the uh, naughty, the naughty the, lady in the car. The car one is between this match and... Is it? No, uh, yeah, it's after, uh, it's after the Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're still running that for a while. We've got, there's another one that I don't think we've had yet, but I remember really distinctly. That one was my favorite one, the one in the bar. JR asks King if he's ever lost a hair match. And King says no, and then immediately remembers that, in fact, yes. <laughs> and JR replies, well, some of the hairs never grew back. Take that. Uh, Edge hits a top rope drop kick and then eats a massive German from Kurt. Yes. Uh, Kurt uh, goes for another a, one. He eats a rougher one later on. Mm. That we'll Kurt, get to here shortly. Yeah. Kurt goes for... A, this, is a, this is perhaps the only slightly fucked up bit of the match. Kurt goes for another German. Edge rolls through it for a two and then hits the weirdest looking execution I've ever seen, which is more of a face buster than an execution. And mm. JR notes... That was a DDT, almost. 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 Yeah. You can't can't let those young lads get over. Oh, no. Edge climbs the turnbuckle. Kurt explodes at him with a top yes. rope double underhook suplex, throws him across the fucking ring with it, only gets a two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edge super kicks Kurt into the corner and delivers a corner DDT. Not a tornado DDT, a standing DDT. Yes. That... Honestly, made me go, oh, fucking hell, out loud. Almost. Yeah, gets a two. It's crazy. Like, they're, they're pulling out all the stops. I'm, yes. I'm not being like, oh, they're doing all these big moves and they're only getting a two. That's so stupid. Like, no, it's good. I'm, you know, this is what I'm saying. The false finishes are great. There are more stops to be pulled. Mm. King says Edge would look horrible bald and would be hanging from the ugly tree, which, given the set dressing, makes one wonder if King intends to lynch Edge. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hope not, because that well, would be grim, but I wouldn't put anything past him. I hope Edge's kids aren't getting picked up by Big Show anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Ugly kids of Edge. <laughs> uh, Kurt ducks a charge from Edge, and as a result, Edge accidentally spears the absolute shit out of referee Brian Hebner, and it looks yes. great. Yes. Like, Edge, Edge's spear is one of those where people often call it the running hug. Because it doesn't always look very impactful, but that's two in this match he's done that look fantastic. I would say that there is a better spear coming up in this match from mm. someone you wouldn't expect it to come from. Yes! Uh, Kurt gives Edge a German. and then Holy ch- shit! <laughs> what a German it was! A full flip, face first down German. Edge almost goes on top of his head. It's fucking crazy, man. Just... Fucking out of this world. Absolutely. 
Uh, Kurt then brings a chair into the ring, only to find himself speared. I really thought we were going to get the Kurt Angle spot with the chair, because Edge was against the ropes when he raised it. So I yeah. was like, oh, we're going to get the rope rebound, but no, yep, we didn't. that's what we I just, thought too. Just got the spear, but hey-ho, never mind. Kurt, uh, sorry, Edge makes the cover, gets the visual pin, but Baby Heb is still down. Edge goes for another spear, but Angle catches him and boots him in the chest. Then goes for the Angle Slam, Edge gets free and hits another spear. Uh, Hebner slowly recovers and counts the one, the two, no! And the fans are going absolutely mad at this point. Yep. Edge uh, attempts an execution, Kurt gets free and hits a spear of his own, which looks what beautiful. A, what a spear. Kurt, so if Kurt good. Angle adopted the spear after this match, it would be legitimate. That well, thing to, was beautiful. To be fair, I'm surprised he didn't, because I mean, it's not that far from like a double leg takedown. Yeah. Logically. So he really, he should have, as an amateur wrestling guy, should have been in his arsenal, surely. And it definitely was. Absolutely. Fucking nailed this one. It looks amazing. Uh, Angle hits the Angle Slam, but Edge gets his shoulder up just in time for possibly the closest two of the night. Yep. So that both men have hit their repertoire. They've, they've hit the moves that they've won matches with. Spears, they've stolen moves from each other. Angle Slams, what is it going to take? Mm. Kurt has a big old tanty. Starts stomping up and down. Almost stamps on poor old Brian Hebner. <laughs> Uh, he goes for the ankle lock. Edge counters with an enziguri. But Kurt is only playing possum and grabs Edge's foot when he comes in close. Then we get this really cool finishing sequence. Yes. Edge reaches for the ropes. Kurt pulls him back. As he's pulling him, Edge turns over, pushes Kurt towards the opposing ropes, and the momentum carries through. So Kurt bounces off, gets caught in a roll-up, and Edge gets the win at 15-30. Absolutely brilliant match. Fucking brilliant. Yes. What the finish was so good too. Yeah. Uh the the like you mentioned, he gets pulled away. As he's getting kind of pulled back, Edge does the roll back, roll through uh leg swing angle, just stirring him into the ropes, back pedals into the pin. So fluid. God, these I, two are so good together. I am not usually a fan of matches on pay-per-view that end in a roll-up because I do feel like a finisher should finish the match, but this one felt earned. This yes. was, And particularly when you, if you're going to end, end with a roll-up, do something innovative and interesting like this, because this looked great. Yes. Because they've hit each other with everything they have. They're, they're, yeah. It's, it's a, the flash pin is not a, a, t- a protection move. It's a genuinely a, a great finish. Absolutely. Uh, Kurt Angle, I mean, he only knows one gear, and that is Top Gear. And... <laughs> The two of them would like. Th- there's no slowdown in in Kurt's tank, so like we don't get any matches like the previous one where we're constantly waiting to catch our breath or anything. It's like no, we're gonna go, 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 go. Yep. And both men constantly just pushing one another to greater heights in this one. Yeah. Amazing false finishes. Yes. And despite the fact that here in 2022 we obviously knew that Kurt was not winning this hair versus hair match. The fans in attendance, I think, were left guessing because it looked yes. like Edge was going to get screwed a couple times in this. So the fact yep. that Angle lost did come as a surprise. And it, they're, they're genuinely happy as well when it comes. It's like, yes, the, justice has been done. The visual pin made it feel as though, oh no, Edge should have won, but now yeah. he's not going to, even though we all saw him win the match. Exactly. They're, they're using the language of wrestling against the fans because they know that it's ingrained. So smart. Very smart. You know, like you mentioned, Kurt Angle is always in top gear. Uh, mm-hmm. He remembered that he's angry at a producer and needs to go punch him. So he uh, 
exits the scene as fast as possible. That's a very good Jeremy Clarkson joke. Everyone should get it. <laughs> yes, Kurt uh, attacks Edge and then legs it up the ramp. Uh, Edge does nail a, a pretty nice-looking execution on Kurt, actually, after the match. Mm-hmm. As, as stated in uh, his theme tune, yeah, my Kurt Angle, number 95. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, we we got uh, Kid Rock's legs earlier, Stacy on the on Peacock on the network. We got mm. Rob Zombie's Never Gonna Stop on Peacock on the mm. network. We're just getting all of the original themes tonight. Hell yeah! Uh, Edge drags and punches Kurt up the ramp towards the barber chair. Kurt doesn't want any part of that though. Kicks Edge into the ramp and almost breaks the panel in the process. Mm. Kurt flees and Edge gives chase. So Kurt I, has not been shaved bald yet, and we I are going to continue the like, show. Yeah, I was like, do we not get the payoff tonight? Mm. Is this a thing that gets done on TV? Watch this I thought that space. was like, that's kind of kind of shit. Yeah. So the fa- the fans in attendance, ooh, grumpy. But don't worry, because here's something funny to cheer them up. Because we see a shot of, what's that? That's the Marriott Hotel behind the <laughs> arena. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Booker T and the uh-huh. lovely lady from before are messing about in bed, and neither of them have a problem with the WWE camera operator watching them. <laughs> I mean, for me, that'd be the first thing. We're like, what well, the fuck are you doing? Get out of here. No, uh, clearly the cameraman was also handed a key. <laughs> <laughs> Book turns off the lights, and uh, apparently, so we, so we are informed, gives so, some kisses to the lady. Hold, hold on. I want to set the scene here. <laughs> so Booker T's in the bed. He's yes. like, come on, girl, I'm ready. Uh, we're going to have so much good sex tonight. Basically. And then the girl walks in wearing a nightie. And she's all like, oh yeah, the sex is going to be great. And she crawls in the bed. And she says, I like it to be a little bit more romantic. Can we turn off the lights? And he's like, for sex? Sure. He turns off the lights. This was filmed in standard definition. We're now in HD. You can still see the bed in the camera because of the, the resolutions now. So as they're talking, not moving in the bed, you see someone slowly slide into the bed <laughs> from the left side of the screen. Who and then, it be? As they're talking, Dustin Rhodes starts talking. <laughs> you get the husky horse voice of, of who this mysterious stranger telling Booker T to leave the NWO and return to Goldust. So Booker turns the lights on and there's Goldie in the bed with the two of them. Uh, Under the, the covers. seems fairly into it, in fact. Yeah. She, she <laughs> seems for it. very okay with the situation. Yeah. Uh, it turns out the whole thing has been a setup by Goldust, who just wanted to talk to Booker and convince him to leave the NWO. Booker, realising he will not get his hole, is pretty peeved and leaves the room with his ass hanging fully <laughs> out. Uh, he gets... Out of the bed. Okay, <laughs> Booker T, planning to have sex, wants to get it on with this woman. His move to get ready for sex, pull his underwear down under his ass, <laughs> leave it over his dick, because that's what all the ladies want. They want you to pitch that tent before they go camping. He's keeping a guessing. But we do get quite a funny little, uh, we do get a funny little punchline to this, though. Gold is like, ah. I bought this nightgown for nothing! And then, like, pulls the covers down. He's got a big pink frilly nightgown on, which I thought was a really funny kind of conclusion to it. But, like, it's not just the fact he's wearing a nightgown. He's wearing it over his gold dust. Yeah, it, it's over the the whole... Yeah, the whole gold dust suit. Oh, it's so uh, silly. All-timer segment that I have no memory of whatsoever. <laughs> Booker T, like, holding his dick 
uh, because his his dick is literally like just inches away from coming out of his underwear. Yeah, underwear. Oh, oh yeah, down under his ass. Doesn't have the time to pull him up. Bare ass getting out of that hotel room, leaving the room. Bare ass out. Who's in that hallway? No one knows. Booker <laughs> T's ass is in it now. Just fucking out of there. Honestly, half expecting him to walk out the door and just hear this ah! just from someone who's just trying to get into the hotel room. Also, where was Goldust in that room before Booker T, like, quote, turned the lights off? That's he had to have been in there somewhere. He was hiding behind the curtains, just sat in the windowsill. Well, maybe he did, maybe Goldust was actually standing next to the cameraman because they couldn't see him standing there either. <laughs> I have many questions about the Marriott in Nashville. I I think they've let an awful lot of things slide in that hotel. Also, how did this woman get backstage? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess Goldust let her backstage. Up, yeah. Yes, but still, but before we realize that, we how did this woman get backstage? <laughs> Michael Cole and Taz now talk about the next match. Cole says the cell is simply a cell. <laughs> I mean, with, with commentary like that, it's no wonder he's the voice of the WWE 20 years later. That is some YouTube poop sentence-mixing shit if ever I've heard it. Fucking hell. Oh my god. So, up next then, ladies and gentlemen, we have the Hell in a Cell match between Chris Jericho and Triple H. I, I'm going to be honest here, I might as well say it now, I feel like this is as good a point as any on our timeline. Babyface Triple H is not clicking for me here. I was hoping you would say something like that because yeah. I thought this was one of the most boring Hell in a Cell matches I've seen. Yeah. Despite the fact of how much weaponry they actually use. Mm. And it should, like, this should have been red hot out of the gate as well because this is a real blood feud between the two. They fucking hate one another. Mm. They spent, like, all year since January at this point basically at one another's throats. So this should be the absolute blow-off for that, and they should be like, bell rings murder one another, but no, it's very slow. I, I gotta say, though, the, the the video package for this, it has Triple H talking about ending Mick Foley's career, and it's like, sorry, you want me to cheer Triple H after that, do you? Yeah. Very, very bizarre mix of this. Yeah. I, I have to say, though, I had forgotten how nice the silver cell is, because I'm used to the horrible red one they use in these days. Yes, so. that is true. This, this cell does look a lot better than the it's current so day one. Uh, oh, and uh, before we get into the match proper, as Triple H cranes his neck to look at the cell before he enters, I had an awful sinking feeling as I spotted the referee for this match and realized it was this one. Yep. Uh, I also made that connection... Uh, about six seconds before that uh, spot happened. Yeah. Uh, your referee for this match, uh, Timothy White. Tim White. And it turns out that refereeing this match was not was wise. Was not wise. No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I also have that very, very, very much in my notes, bolded, underlined, that's not wise, Mr. White. Uh, we start off with the two going nose to nose, which is an early indicator that Jericho will not win. Well, I mean, it's it's good that they're following a uh, COVID nineteen protocol by standing six <laughs> feet apart by Triple H standing nose to nose with anyone. Absolutely, uh, lots of punches in the early going, followed by punches and punches and punches and punches and, and punches. punches. 
they do try and slam one another into the cell, but it's kind of a fake out, and neither of them manage to do so, and they return to the ring where they do some punches. Do a fucking move, for God's sake! This goes on for like five minutes! That's a blood feud, they just want to hit each other. I know, but like, can you hit one another with a power bomb? No, we can okay. only do it with these very snug fists, because all of our <laughs> offense is very good tonight. With basic worked punches. This, like, watching this, like I said, this just was not clicking. Triple H Mm-mm. moves like a heel in the ring. Yes. And like, don't get me wrong, that's not me trying to say that, you know, Triple H is doing it wrong, because I think as a heel, Triple H might be in the conversation for top three. Yes. But as a babyface, I think he's probably in the conversation for top 303. Because, but it, it's the thing where the, the heel is supposed to get heat by making the audience want to see a babyface fire up, get fast-paced offense, inject some energy in the match. Yeah. Triple H keeps it at the same pace as Jericho does. Yeah. So there's there's no transition of that heat to the audience or to the viewer or to me as I go and get another drink. <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, Triple H kind of has the advantage for most of this and has the babyface, really. He yeah. should be getting worked over. But the yeah. thing the thing is, and again, I'm not saying this to be a, you know, a body guy because wrestling's fake, obviously, but what? Jericho is notably smaller than Triple H. Triple H is a huge, muscular guy. He spent his rehab just becoming fucking enormous and Jericho is average build for a wrestler. So it's like... It's catch twenty two. Jericho looks like a dick here, but at the same time, if he beat up Triple H, it almost wouldn't be believable. Yeah. Also, Jericho's gear tonight is awful. It's not great. No. Not uh, gets, it, it improves throughout the match somehow. <laughs> it's the addition of blood to it for highlights and massive rips. Yeah. Uh, there's. Several points in this where Tim White chastises people for going outside the ring, including a point where Jericho falls outside of the ring after attempting to charge Triple H in the corner and collides with the ring post. So uh-huh. having fallen to the outside, Tim White tells him off for going to the outside. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll teach you to get hurt, you dumbass. I mean, Tim White is is kind of the prophet of his own future by saying you should probably stay inside the ring. Yeah, hey, he, there's, there's a lesson to be learned from this one. There's another kind of f- fun little Tim White bit. Jericho pulls a ladder from under the ring and Tim White goes, you don't need that. <laughs> Big technical wrestling appreciator Tim White doesn't want any gimmicks in these matches. You gotta climb the ladder, kid. Make yourself famous. <laughs> Jericho calls Hunter a son of a bitch approximately 9,082 times in this match. Yes. Uh, very, very good blade job from Triple H at one point. Triple H gets hit by the ladder, and you don't see him do it on camera. And then the next shot is... Triple H being grated into the cell, and it looks mm. awesome. It's like the cell's just sliced him open, and of course it hasn't, yeah. but it looks fantastic. There's a fucking amazing moment where Triple H hits the ladder really hard after an Irish whip from Jericho, stumbles out of the ring, and falls on the ring steps, and then as a little capper to that, Jericho throws the ladder at him. Well, see, that wouldn't have happened if he would have stayed inside the he ring. He should have stayed in the ring. Tim, Tim White, Tim White once him. again... Undefeated, Tim White. Uh, <laughs> def- you... Definitely de- de- doesn't catch any else. No. I mean, the man's logic is unassailable. Unfortunately, he's <laughs> he's not. <laughs> so, Triple H uh, catches Jericho with a steel chair as he's charging him with the ladder. 
uh, which somehow knocks the ladder into Jericho from the position he was holding it, but whatever. Uh, claps Jericho on the back with it. Then Jericho responds by giving Triple H a bulldog into the ladder before calling Triple H a son of a bitch 24 more times. <gasps> Tim White vocally claims he has had enough of Jericho going outside. It's about to be significant in all the ways he couldn't have imagined, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jericho tries to pick up the steps to hit Triple H, but a drop toehold uh, sees him sort of land face first on them because it looked like here's the thing right Jericho sort of struggles with them because like, you and I know the steps yeah. aren't really solid metal they are hollow what? they are wood they are wooden we they are five thousand pounds <laughs> but Jericho's doing the whole uh, like really straining to get him up Triple H follows this up by just picking up and throwing him at him yep uh, and then as if that didn't make Jericho look enough of a bitch Tim White just picks him up with no effort and throws him <laughs> out of the ring. <laughs> So Jericho really looking like a shithead at this moment, at this point. Well, if you go outside the ring, you lose all your strength. Tim this White just, again, infallible. Triple H lawn darts Jericho into the cell wall, and Jericho stumbles back and slams into the ring post, which yes. looks great. That was a brilliant little add-on by Jericho yeah. there. I mean, it, for in the ring, Jericho has a mind probably top ten all time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Outside of the ring, that's another conversation for another time. But in the ring, fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah. here, speak, speaking of outside the ring, though, this is where things go very wrong. What? Uh, Jericho, Tim White would never. <laughs> Jericho gets rolled back into the ring by Triple H, who follows. Uh-huh. We're in the ring. Jericho runs at the ropes. Right. Okay. Triple H uses Jericho's momentum against him and throws him at the opposite ropes. Oh, no. Where Tim White is stood on the apron. Why is he on the apron, Tim? <laughs> Tim, outside that's the outside ring. the ring! Tim White, then, is launched off of the apron with, frankly, awesome force uh-huh. into the cell wall and lands on the ground in a heap. That's what this he, he went straight horizontal, mm. then straight vertical down. Oh, it looks... Like, don't get me wrong, it looks amazing. And it's, you know, it's obviously a planned spot, but it... it it's not great, and I don't know whether I don't know whether it's this bit or the bit that comes moments later, uh, because Jericho absolutely clatters the bejesus out with out of Triple H with the chair. Tim White is down from being yes. slammed into the wall. Jericho then gets out of the ring and starts to throw Tim White around a little so bit. So if he wasn't hurt before, he sure is now. Uh, he is bleeding yeah. quite profusely as well. I mean, again, obviously it's a blade job, but it looks amazing. Tim White, uh, in fact, no, we'll we'll come back to that in a bit, because I think that that's something we need to sort of cover. But he's kind of out of the match at this point. JR says on commentary that that could be an issue, because Tim White is the one who has the key to the cell. Right. So nobody will be able to get out as long as uh, Tim White is KO'd. But don't uh, Jer- worry, the three brightest minds in the world are on the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as Jericho and Triple H uh, renew their fighting... The other referees, we've got uh, Earl Hebner, I think, uh, Mike uh, Jimmy Kiona, Corderas. Jimmy Corderas. Yeah. They all they all sort of come down to the ring like, oh, we, we don't have the key, we can't get in, we can't help Tim. I know, some bolt cutters, which they then struggle to be able to use. <laughs> um, but <laughs> after, a, after a period of what feels like several minutes, they do finally get into the cell and they rush in to tend to Tim White and leave the door open. Yes. Hmm, I, I wonder. Kind of, 
I kind of want to clip out the bit of them using the bolt cutters and upload on YouTube as a how-to video. <laughs> this is a how, how to use bolt cutters and introduction. This is the wrong way to Because, do boy, do they show you the ways not to use Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's awkward. Like, bolt cutters are... There's something where, really, there isn't particularly a wrong way to use them, and yet they find you would a think. way. It's... You would think. It's put the bit you want cut in the bolt cutters, <laughs> and then the cut the bit to cut them. <laughs> I don't know how they managed to fuck this up, but at least the padlocks in wrestling aren't fake. We do know that. Uh, Triple H, while this is going on, heads under the ring and brings out his favorite toy, a sledgehammer, which he then absolutely blasts Jericho in the face with, but uh, making the cover finds there is no referee. Uh, Triple H starts chasing the referees now, which is, again, uh, a real babyface move from Hunter. Yeah. Speaking of babyface moves, making sure he visibly himself one, two, threes the mat with his yeah. own hand to Just make so sure know. you know you pinned Jericho already. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jericho starts crawling out the door looking really pathetic. Just a great bit of acting from Jericho. Just like, nah, help me, I'm going to die. Uh, Tri- Triple H comes towards Jericho and Jericho slams the door in his face which looks great Yeah, they fight around the ringside area Jericho takes the Spanish announce table apart and <laughs> misses Triple H with every single piece that he throws at him uh a, a brilliant bit right around here. Uh, I put it up on my Twitter. Uh, mm. As Jericho is uh, discarding everything and throwing monitors and like the, the board at the front of it, uh, mm. JR just looks at it and goes, Jericho's clear, he's cleaning off that table. Espanol style. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't... I don't know what Jim Ross is on about half of the time, and this is one of those times. Just Espanol style. Espanol Hell yeah, style. Jim, that's for, that's for true city. Mm. <laughs> uh, Jericho gets Hunter on the table and attempts a pedigree, but Triple H fights him off and nails a DDT through the table, which does explode in pretty spectacular fashion. It's a good little spot. And then, next to the other commentary table, Triple H finds a secret weapon, a barbed wire 2x4. <gasps> Jericho decides he would not like any part of that and begins to leg it to the cell roof. And the crowd are pretty into it because they know some shit is about yes. to go down. I mean, you pull out Mick Foley's signature weapon. Yes, you've got In a Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, you've got and to go you on the roof. start climbing to the top of the cell. After you already did one commentator table spot, mm. people are probably expecting some shit. Yeah. Um, which I'm not entirely certain they delivered on. Oh, they, no, they delivered some shit. There's, there is some <laughs> shit, but not the shit we were after. Uh, Triple H... Now, Okay, now here's the weird thing that doesn't make any sense. Triple H starts climbing the cell. Yes. And he brings the 2x4 with him, because it's got a handy-dandy little carry handle on it. Was, yes. Yeah, well, well thought out, Triple H. Good for you. Good thinking. And then he gets to the top of the cell and throws the 2x4 onto the roof ahead of him. Which Where allows Chris Jericho to pick it up and hit him in. with yeah. it. Yeah, yes. not the smartest. Um, so <laughs> they're now both on the roof of the cell. i got to say, visually, always really fun to see them like oh. mere feet away from the lights above. That's such a cool visual. Absolutely. Jericho smacks Triple H with the 2x4 and the roof begins to buckle beneath uh, their bodies. Now, 
if you had your blood enemy on mm. the top of this cell, yes, at your mercy, yes. you have a barbed wire two by four in your hands yes. that miraculously doesn't cause anyone's back to bleed when it's used. <laughs> How do you take advantage of this situation? You put Triple H in the walls of Jericho. <laughs> Why do you put the fucking walls on the top of the cell? I don't know, but Mike Kyoda seems to think it's legal and legitimate because he goes <laughs> onto the cell roof and he starts asking Triple H if he's going to quit. <laughs> Why? Why is that your go-to? <laughs> it's you have, very weird. You have a 2 by 4 with barbed wire wrapped around it. You just, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a Boston crab. <laughs> and not very good Boston crab at that. Jericho, like Triple H, uh, he kind of crawls a little bit, kicks Jericho off him. Jericho rolls away from Triple H, and some vicious little fucker in the audience, some little kid just shouts, Foul! 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 Like, wishing Jericho's death. Yeah, well, uh, later on, that little fucker would grow on to become John E. Blood of New <laughs> Legacy Inc. fame. And he has inflicted many a uh, falling from the Hell in a Cell in the virtual video game environment. Indeed. Jericho grabs the 2x4, raises it, Triple H punches him in the balls. Uh, Triple H goes for a pedigree, Jericho counters with a backdrop, and the audience is going, <gasps> and then just immediately come down because Triple H lands absolutely fine and the cell yes. does not give way, despite the fact no. that's the obvious signifier of what should have happened there. Pretty much, yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, spoilers, guys. We don't get any cool off-the-cell or through-the-cell moments here, which is a real shame because they really signposted them, unfortunately. Yep. Triple H uh, hits Jericho with the 2x4, and, uh, oh, really gross, the barbed wire momentarily gets stuck in Jericho's hair, which isn't very pleasant. Uh, Triple H makes the cover, picks up a 2, and then the Master of Psychology simply hits the pedigree and picks up a three and gets the win at 24-31. You say simply hits the pedigree. Mm. The setup for that pedigree took about, I think, half a century. Mm. There was some... I got one arm hooked, the other arm doesn't go up all the way. They fight out of it a little bit. Jericho kind of wiggles a little bit. He gets the other arm. They stand there for a couple seconds. It's just like, oh, that that, that, was, that was it. That's the end. This is the thing, okay. of course, WWE at this point have conditioned their fans to believe that if there's going to be a Hell in a Cell match, somebody will now be going off or through it. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think, to my recollection, and you may well say otherwise, I don't think we ever get that again. Uh, through it? No. Off of it? Technically, but mm. I'm going to be very, very loose in my use of the word technically. Sure. Because what comes to mind is Sasha and Charlotte, they go off the side through yes. the commentary table. That, that's about as... That's about as and as, uh, as Shane does a dive against Taker at sure. Mania. But that's, that's different. But I mean, that's, that's him there's no doing a Shane McMahon elbow drop. <laughs> yes. And then Big Boss Man was... Uh, well, never mind. Yes, well, that was a different story altogether, wasn't he it? He fit the so. aesthetic of the show. <laughs> I and and again, here is the thing: like, if you have a WWE video game and the Hell in a Cell is in there, yes. you can throw people off. You can put and them through, through the roof. Yep. But it's not a spot they've done for about two decades at this point. 
So don't well, get me wrong. I don't, be, I'm, if anyone at 2K is listening, don't you fucking take that out. I'll be cross. I'll be really yes. cross. And but to be fair, well, in mm. 2K22, half the time it gets glitched and you can only break two of the four holes in the roof anyways. Yeah. Uh, it gets stuck in the wall. To be fair, again, these are people. They should not be going through oh, hey, the no tops way. of cells uh, like, on a to, pure, purely humane standpoint. Sure. To be absolutely clear... <clears throat> I don't really want them to go through the cell. <laughs> but the like the thing is, like I say, there's the shorthand. If you're gonna to climb to the cell roof, yeah, the fans are on going something. to expect you going yeah. through it. Because do we've not... seen that now twice. Climbing to the McCauley. top Climbing to the top to only do a lion ta- or walls of Jericho and a pedigree and, a pedigree, and a back yeah. body drop. You're you're diluting what has become uh, at that point, a very signature moment in WWE history. Yes, I uh, mean because you're you're definitely uh, referencing Taker and Mankind course, by doing which, that. To this day, is one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history. Oh, absolutely. Uh, however, if you want to if you want to talk about diluted, here's the unfortunate thing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here in 2002, this is not even the only Hell in a Cell match we're going to be covering on this pay per view. Because they'll be going, they're going to be going back to this gimmick in October. Uh, yeah, not on this pay per view, but on no, this pay per view. Sure. Yeah. Um, to make matters worse, they even know that the Hell in a Cell is watered down because they come up with something even more brutal in November. So they know even now that this has been overdone. Uh, what did you think no to this one? Of. <laughs> what could I possibly be talking about? What signature wrestling match? Um, what did you think to this one generally? Uh, the match itself, uh, it was okay. Like I mm. said, the, there was no the, there was no shift in the action in terms of pacing uh, by either man. Mm. That definitely made like the the heat worth uh, the beatdown. Yeah, uh, Triple H was honestly on top for most of it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, when they get to the top of the cell, like the outside stuff is pretty good. The sure. the, the commentary table stuff, uh, every, Tim White, everything post Tim White's pretty good mm. until they get to the top of the cell. But a wet fart of a finish. Yeah. Just uh, did not need to happen up there. They definitely could have done that a better way. For as brilliant as I thought the edge angle finish was, the exact opposite here. Yeah. I think, again, I'd, I'd agree, this, it's okay, it kind of picked up in the middle, uh, but a really slow, boring start, and honestly, once again, could have lost five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but, as we sort of alluded to, there is more to the tale of Tim White in this one, and this is kind of the real tragedy of this match. Uh, again, I'm not sure which spot it is, I know which one they replay uh, in the video packages later on. But either on that bump off the apron or from Jericho throwing him, Tim White legitimately injures his shoulder so severely that he's forced to move away from refereeing into a backstage agent role while he rehabs the injury. Now, he is going to have another match on our timeline. He is going to come back once the injury is healed. Um, And the tragic thing is he immediately re-injures the shoulder. So, yeah, Tim White permanently kind of fucked over by this one and that's a real shame because this is probably the most forget the most forgotten hell in a cell match that they'd ever had at this point yeah 
Like I, I'll be honest, while like the lead up to this one, watching the Rose and the Smackdowns, I genuinely forgot that this match was coming up. Uh, I like I, the one that we've got on the October pay per view. I remember that one. I think by the time we roll around to that, everyone's forgotten this match even took place. Yeah, and the fact that it's that that is set up for the WWE.com originals or exclusives with him and Josh Matthews at oh, the bar. What a legacy! On a slightly more cheery note, backstage, yes. Kurt <laughs> is still running from Edge 25 minutes later. Uh, he hides at the makeup table, and then thinking that Edge has run past, he tries to make a break for it, but to no avail as Edge spots him and gives chase. And we fade to black. Hey, he he gets in a chair, he puts on like a shower cap <laughs> and uh, like a haircut uh, cape, or the yes. thing that keeps your hair, hair from coming on you. Yeah. Edge just runs past... Uh, Angle gets like the the, sne- the sneeriest smirk on his face. He's like, "Haha, <laughs> I am a genius." <laughs> he gets up, peers around the the corner, runs, and then like two seconds later, Edge is already back running after him. <laughs> Edge must have like just stopped ten feet past that corner. Yeah, <laughs> mysteriously, it's it's very silly. But uh, you know, after. After a match that was again quite slow paced, I wanted something a bit funny to cheer yeah. me up, so I was I was happy. It was brilliant, just a brilliant little like ninety second bit. Yeah, and again, this does sort of make it clear we are not done with this yet, and Kurt yes. is yet to get his comeuppance. So yes. don't worry, viewers. Is kind of what that, this is that saying. was reassuring to see. Yes. Uh, then we get an advert: World Wrestling Entertainment. Why don't you put the fuck inside a naked woman? <laughs> Uh, excuse me. Oh, oh whatever was, the slogan was, I might be getting that slightly wrong. She was very clearly still wearing everything from her navel down. <laughs> well, are but, you sure? Because the windows it, are quite steamy. Anything could have been happening in that car. Yes, I also draw the WWF logo on my windows as I get it on in the backseat with my significant other. Absolutely. Who uses their bare toe on uh, worldwide television <laughs> to roll up and down the windows. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. One of those adverts where it's like, okay, we get it, sex sells, but perhaps it should be written and directed by people that have ever actually had sex, perhaps. Nah, pal, that's good shit. Oh, Jesus. Oh, you know he was on stage for that one. Show the toe again. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Speaking of trying to get the fuck into someone, Maven has taken Tori Wilson on a date. Uh Oh, that big romantic. He's taken her where else... But the world. The world. Jesus, Maven. Fucking loser. The two two of them make really awkward, flirty chit-chat, as absolutely none of the punters pay attention to them. They could not give shit number one about Maven and Tori Wilson. No. Uh, They might as well have had the script written on the tablecloth underneath them. Oh my god, so awkward. And, like, Maven's, like... Maven's dialogue is basically uh, just kidding, uh, unless <laughs> he was like, "Oh, Tori, I really liked it when uh, when you took your clothes off and uh, your boobs were out. Uh, not yeah. not because I like your boobs, but because because uh, you looked really free and you weren't in that geisha outfit because you were in your underwear. I like your underwear, Tori." And she's like, "Yeah, maybe I'll get my tits out again. Uh, not like yeah. that. Oh, that sounds so wrong. Oh, Jesus yeah, Christ!" She, you she says, uh, "Taking that geisha off made her feel free. That made." Her- you know, made her feel like she was wearing, you know, nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> nothing nothing at, all. at all. Nothing at all. And oh, then Maven stupid spits sexy Tory. <laughs> yeah, Maven does the spit take. Maven, just wait two years. You'll be fine. 
<laughs> Will Maven touch Tory Wilson on the boobies? Tune into SmackDown to probably find out. Maybe, perhaps. Who cares? Up next. <laughs> Up next, Billy and Chuck. Uh, incidentally, we had a little backstage segment with Billy and Chuck on Sunday Night Heat, so that might be worth oh. might be worth covering. Um, Vince McMahon arrived at the arena on Heat, and Billy and Chuck wanted to know if he'd selected a tag team partner for Rikishi yet. And Vince told them that he'd waited long and hard to get his revenge on Rikishi for, you know, putting his butt in his face in that old classic episode of of WWE television. Uh, And he declares that the tag champs will just have to wait like he has to find out who. So, officially, this WWE Tag Team Championship match is between champions Billy and Chuck with Rico versus Rikishi and who? Jim Neidhart's here? (laughs) I'm going to be honest, after the last match, I I quite needed the pick-me-up of Chuck dancing like an absolute twat atop the stage. That was that was good shit. Yeah. Rico's jacket. Oh, don't worry. By the way. There's more dancing upon the stage to come. Oh, isn't there just? Rico's jacket is like three sizes too large for him. It, he looks oh, yes. like a fridge. It's the funniest thing. Uh, so Rikishi makes his entrance. No partner, of course, because it's yes. been chosen by Vince. And then Fink. <laughs> like I feel like this was almost a joke at Fink's expense. Because he, he does the announcement and he was like, and now the partner of Rikishi chosen by Vince McMahon. And then he like looks up towards the stage and then like a ring hand's like, no, no, Howard, I've got it, I've got it written down in this envelope. And he's like, oh, uh, okay then. And like opens the envelope and he goes, Rico! <laughs> like, right, cool, great. So Rico is Rikishi's tag partner. <laughs> it's weird. Like Fink looks awkward as fuck from it though. Yeah. Uh, Rico, of course, first objects to it. Then he starts thinking, okay, you know what? We can do this. Then he goes, Rikishi, I got this. Come on, Billy. Come on. (laughs) I love love how just for a split second you almost believe that maybe Rico genuinely will be fair about this. Pretty, pretty standard stuff here. This was a real SmackDown mid-card tag match if ever I saw one. Oh, boy, was it. Uh, not even... I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Billy and Chuck are good. They're both yeah. good They're both good wrestlers, they're perfectly fine, but I feel like the gimmick is what's keeping this afloat at the minute, and it's like, well, we know we're going to get a crowd reaction out of this, we can use them as the popcorn match, we don't have to have a lengthy sequence with them, they're still going to get a reaction at the end of the night. Yeah. Um. So as a result, it's another very short match. We get uh, Billy nails the famous around Rikishi and only gets a two, which means that's both him and Chuck who've had their finishes buried in the same month. Nice. Uh, Chuck, by the way, was doing his finisher for the first time and got it buried, so that's great. Oh no. There's a really weird mi- uh, miscommunication. At one point, Rikishi gives a belly to belly to Chuck and covers him and then just kind of sort of rolls off him. <laughs> Right. Which was odd. Uh, absolutely awesome Samoan drop from Rikishi onto Billy. Uh, Chuck attempts a sunset flip. That which Rikishi signature counters. Chuck Palumbo sunset flip yeah. he does. All the time. All the time. Definitely uh, not a setup for anything else. <laughs> of course. Rikishi counters it by sitting on Chuck's face. Not oh, like shit. that. Get your mind out of the gutter. Whoa. Uh, JR asks, can you imagine the smell? <laughs> what? 
you think he doesn't clean his ass, Jim? Now, you think in Rikishi fairness, just doesn't wipe or something. Now, in fairness, I, I don't know if we've covered this on the podcast. I think we might have. Uh, on his podcast, Kurt Angle once revealed that as a as a rib, Rikishi, when Kurt was still relatively new to the company, did not wipe. <laughs> that okay, that is true. If Rikishi likes you, you'd get the the, the clean bum. If he didn't like you, or if you were a new guy, you might have got a bit of a smelly adventure. Mm. <laughs> smelly adventure? Like, Kurt's reaction was like, well, he's 350 pounds, I'm clearly not going to be able to take him. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Just takes it in good spirits. But, like, if you never listen to Kurt Angle's podcast, like, it's it's worth it for stories like that. Just occasionally he'll give you a, a good little bit of... Uh, I got a little bit of salt and pepper in there. Like, like particularly the wording was, the bastard took a poop and he didn't wipe. <laughs> uh, we get, uh, Billy goes for what I think is like an elevated, like a step up Famouser, and doesn't quite hit it, and instead nails the flying fuck all, which Rikishi chooses to sell, which is very odd. Uh, Chuck holds Rikishi, and Rikishi, uh, Rikisho, Rico throws a spin kick at him, but Rikishi ducks, and Rico hits Chuck instead. Rikishi gives Rico a thrust kick, covers Chuck, and picks up the win at 350. Uh, Rikishi leaves, walks up the ramp with the championship belt, leaving the stunned and confused Rico, Billy, and Chuck in the ring. Rikishi so, puts his hat on and does a little dance. Yes, he does. He does the, the two cool songs playing. He does the dance on stage. Pyro, like sparklers, start shooting up from the stage. <laughs> yeah, he gets new champion Pyro. He gets new champ All Pyro. He's dancing, <laughs> he's dancing by himself with a tag belt as the lights dim and he's just partying up there. <laughs> uh, so, in canon, the two biggest finishers in the world is Xbox Kick and Rico's Kick because <laughs> no one can kick out of either of them. <laughs> Well, I mean, Rico also has been watching a lot of those films where people kick one another. Oh, because he is a tra- he's a trained uh, he's got a black belt Film in where uh, people kicking kick people, each other, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, as the former champions leave, Rico picks up his belt and leaves too. Yeah, does like a like he looks at it and then kind of like doubles back to look at Billy and Chuck and kind of like slowly like kind of sidestep, walks over, picks it up, holds it behind him as he's like <laughs> clenching at his jaw. <laughs> so he's like hiding the fact that he's happy to be a champion yeah. but by, by, by oh, selling uh, the pain yeah Rico, that's such a nice little bit Rico's so fucking good I, I'm gonna be honest with you here I had genuinely forgotten this title change happened same I, I thought that Billy and Chuck were gonna hold this for a good old while so this took me by surprise which means that I am now in the unusual position of not knowing where this storyline's gonna go which I am in favour of but this was essentially the third handicap match on this card. Right, yeah. Paul Heyman and Rico were not real partners. No. So, Very unusual booking. Very bizarre. Yeah, really weird. Like, Sophie from EWI is tapping her fucking foot watching this one, I can tell you. Well, she's definitely saying that you overused Edge and Kurt Angle at this show. <laughs> That's true. Because up next, we go backstage and Edge is still chasing Kurt... Honestly, the stamina on this lad. I mean, I know Kurt used to do the old exhaust training while he was preparing for the Olympics, but Edge must have been running for 40 minutes at this point. <laughs> uh, Edge does find Kurt, however, specifically when Kurt hits him in the head with a trash can lid. Yeah, he uh, he opens the door, looks like in a closet or something, <laughs> leaves the door open so you can't see like what's on the other side of it. He leaves the room, closes the door, Angles is there with a, a 
trash can lid. Fucking Kurt Angle jump scare behind the door. <laughs> so Kurt beats the absolute piss out of Edge and drags him through Gorilla, which is great because yes. we never get to see that on TV. True. Uh, there are <laughs> there are a pair of signs which say "Stay away from Spanish announce table," <laughs> which I kind of like because, like, on the one hand, like obviously the reason is they're saying like. You know, it's there as a reminder, like, don't touch it, it might fall apart, because we need that for the, the Triple H and Jericho spot. Right. But at the same time, I kind of like how in canon it's like, for God's sake, guys, leave them alone, fucking hell. <laughs> Stay away from that table, Espanol style. <laughs> There's another ta- uh, another sign which reminds the talent, they've changed the name of the company, please stop saying it wrong, you fucking idiots. <laughs> Jerry Lawler forgot to look at that sign before <laughs> coming out on commentary tonight. <laughs> Kurt grabs a microphone on his way back out while he's holding Edge, tells the fans, oh, I'm going to show you a haircut, beats Edge up further, throws him off the stage onto the the little barbary. Oh my god, Edge goes soaring off it. Yep. Uh, Kurt punches Edge into the chair and attempts an angle slam, but Edge counters with a sleeper hold. And despite putting up a fight, Kurt fades and passes out. Uh, making this probably the first sleeper hold since Roddy Piper to actually work. Well, I mean, if if every match with a sleeper hold finish involved thirty minutes of running around backstage, so that's fair. Pro- He's probably properly gassed. knackered. <laughs> probably I mean, gassed. that would probably make a, a sleeper hold very effective. Yeah, I'd be looking for a good kit myself at that point. Uh, Edge gently places Kurt in the barber's chair. And the barber passes Edge the clippers. And then, oh no, unbeknownst to Edge, he starts scraping the absolute fuck out of Kurt's head because he's holding the clippers the wrong way down. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is Kurt, he has to pretend he's passed out so he can't even say, ow, you are ripping my fucking scalp off, dickhead. If only there was a professional standing <laughs> a foot away from Edge right. right now. It takes the barber like a minute to realize, it's like, oh shit, yeah, you're holding it the wrong way. Yeah, here you go. And Edge is like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Not to mention we saw a couple of different hairdressers backstage in the previous Angle and Edge segment. <laughs> exactly. uh, so, eventually, Edge does get it going the right way, and ooh, he begins to shave Kurt bald, and oh, it just, oh, it comes right off there. Uh, after going over Kurt with the clippers, Edge lathers the absolute fuck out of his head <laughs> with shaving foam, uh, makes a few little passes with a straight razor, probably realizing, hmm, maybe shouldn't be no. throwing a straight razor around Kurt's head. Might stop there. And he just makes a little dog turn out of shaving foam on Kurt's head instead. <laughs> uh, Edge gives Kurt a good old slap to wake him up, and then shows him his face in the mirror. Kurt, of course, freaks out, and Edge tells Kurt that from now on, the fans won't chant, you suck, they'll chant, you're bald. And, of course... Kurt's music plays and the fans oblige. Uh, uh, editor's note, and I'm not the editor, but I'm going to say it's one anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edge was very much wrong. Uh, he was a thousand percent <laughs> wrong. Uh, that chant did they not definitely did not. They definitely did not change that chant forever. Uh, you suck definitely outlasted. No, Kurt could come out on Raw tomorrow night and he'd still get the you suck chant, not a your ball chant. That's because only like 35% of people ordered this pay-per-view, so they knew to get <laughs> True. Chance. Uh, there's a really cool visual of Kurt lying on the ground, looking at this smashed mirror just on the verge of tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kurt runs away like, oh, I'm hideous, don't look at me. <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out, Kurt genuinely looks better bald than he ever did with her. I agree. 
Um, it doesn't take long for him to absolutely own it. Uh, well, uh, you'll you'll get through the story of what oh, goes on I between Ben and Yes, because this is the thing but... you see when you do a hair versus hair match in WWE, you have to do the punchline. Yes, yes. we haven't had it just yet. And um, that Angle is does it really they, well. They certainly revisit. A, I can think of at least in two thousand four. Mm. You, well, it's one of your all-time favorites. Absolutely. So, so, well, another of my all-time favorites, because Kurt, of course, is on that list yes. too. So stay tuned, sports fans. Uh, do you know what? I, I can think. I can. I can kind of imagine Vince like breaking the news of this match to Kurt, because, um, like, you know, when when he first broke in, Kurt was a big fan of Stone Cold. Like, Stone Cold was what got Kurt into pro wrestling. Right. You know, he was kind of Kurt's wrestling hero before he was ever his friend. Um, so I can kind of imagine Vince sort of breaking this match to him, like, remember how you wanted to be just like Stone Cold? Well, guess what, pal? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure Kurt was all for it. He seems like he's he's game for a oh, lot gotcha. of things in his career. Absolutely. Well, it's one of those things. Like, like I remember this was covered on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, and it was like, how did how did it come to pass that you were going to shave Kurt bald? And the answer is because Kurt was already going bald anyway. Ah, so at least this gives them a storyline out for right. it. it. Gives Edge a chance to get over. It lets Kurt get some good heel heat. There's some really funny comedy. Oh, and as a bonus, we've had like two or three back to back incredible matches with them. So yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the last we'll see of those two for tonight. But it's not the last we'll see of matches here tonight. For we have a main event to come. And are you are you excited? Are you excited for this one, Slip? Uh, I am. Broken by 12 stones, because that's the <laughs> official theme song of Judgment Day. Jesus. Which you wouldn't think of 12 stones as a WWE band, but they kind of are. Uh, I mean, they provide the theme a few years later for the Nexus, the We Are One. Oh, right. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that. uh, that's a good old tune. But yes, uh, a Hulk Hogan pay-per-view main event in 2002. I am. Yeah. Uh, that's the reason I definitely signed up for this <laughs> show. Yes. The undisputed WWE Championship is on the line as Hollywood Hulk Hogan defends against The Undertaker in a rematch from 1991. Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, now, Undertaker has not been necessarily the hottest character on this podcast so far, and neither has Hogan. So I had very, very low expectations going into this one, I'm going to be honest. Well, I'm. I assure you that this match meets and exceeds how low they can go. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I started off quite happy because we had the instrumental version of "You've Done It Now." I legitimately thought that was a dub, and I had to go out and find it because I actually stopped before Hogan came out mm. uh, to find the actual intro, and I found it, and it was the same one. I was like, "Oh, yeah. it sounds so so fake," but yeah, he... Undertaker challenger up first. Yeah, for the first, as, as first it time be. tonight. Yeah. Um. This theme now, Undertaker is going to have this for the next couple of months, and then of course we get the iconic "You've done it now." Yes, we, they, they, you see, they realized when they gave him this instrumental that they'd gone and made a big mistake. So, yes, uh, as I was watching the, the original airing of the show, I get to Hogan's entrance, and I it's hear significantly better. I hear "Voodoo <laughs> Child," and I go, "Oh no!" Yeah, we've got because <laughs> I know what's about to happen when I go theme. back to Peacock. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, no motorbikes from either man tonight. No. So, Taker opens things off by beating the shit out of Hogan with Hogan's own weightlifting belt. And all I can really say to that is, lol. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, Taker came out wearing the weight belt already. Mm. Uh, turnabout's fair play. Hogan returns the favor. Earl Hebner, referee for the match, finally gets the weightlifting belt out of the ring, and the bell is rung. Uh, I gotta say, Hogan is over with the fans. I, I'm oh. not a Hogan fan, but he is over. No. Uh, I noticed this in the, uh, the opening match already grow. The amount of people in Hulk still rules, mm-hmm. bandanas, yeah. Hulk rule, Hulkamania shirts. There was a, the front row, probably the front six rows are probably all Hulk Hogan. There's like sure. one sign that's pro taker in the front, but it's up all night and I've got a kick out of it. <laughs> just that one very dedicated Undertaker fan that wanted to yeah. just know they were there. There was also a sign that said, uh, Hi, Amanda, Mommy and Daddy loves you. They don't love you enough to bring you to the show, but they love you nonetheless. <laughs> oh, that would be a real twist of the knife, wouldn't it? <laughs> Their kids at the world being picked up by Big Show. They're at the show. <laughs> 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 Mommy and Daddy love you very much, but Big Show thinks you're ugly. <laughs> Uh, we get a couple of little, well, I say a couple, we get a lot of, uh, shortcuts in this one, shall we say. Oh. But that's not necessarily oh, oh God, yes. the worst thing, because when you're dealing with this combination of performers, shortcuts are probably the way to go, because Hogan sort of exposed himself as not being up to the standards a few times yep. on our timeline by now, so hey and What LT means by that is we start with a, a, a arm lock, and then we get a side head lock, then we change her into a hammer lock, then we run the ropes, double down, or uh, duck down, <laughs> uh, leapfrog, uh, deep arm drag, kip up, deep arm drag, kip up, uh, indie, indie face off. Uh, crowd is on their feet that these two are ready to go. I don't uh, think I can even visualize <laughs> Hogan or Taker doing the international. I want to see both of them trying to kip up and just kind of flail their arms and like, like, <laughs> like, like two turtles on their back as they they kind of spin around in a circle. <laughs> Jesus. Um, we end up having a, a ringside brawl fairly early on. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, yes. Hogan Irish whips Taker into and over the stairs, and it looks great. And there's mm-hmm. one fan in the front row who goes absolutely tits mental, and he goes, Holy shit, did you see that? Oh, my God! And then when Hogan spots him, he looks at this, looks this guy in the eye, and he goes, Go get him, brother! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh, back in the ring, Taker rings the arm, and Hogan is in so much pain, he takes off his bandana willingly. Uh, Undertaker goes for old school Hogan yanks his arm free and crotches Taker Undertaker uh, eventually though gets a second rope superplex Uh, Mm. sorry uh, yeah Hogan gets the the superplex I should say looks really impressive I gotta say from an old fucker to a big guy it's not too bad yep Uh, very very awkward chop block from Taker because Hogan forgets which way to face yes uh, but this is the greatest comeback story in the WWE history, LT. Mm, allegedly. And don't you forget it, apparently. I, a chance would be a fine thing. They don't let up about that on commentary one bit. The, the Hulk Hogan nostalgia tour has been the driving force of the championship for the last two or three months now. Uh, we get... Take a work in the leg. Yes. He slams Hogan's leg against the apron and the ring post, and then applies a sort of side leg thing. I'm not <laughs> really sure what it is, but I suppose it looks painful. <laughs> Hogan, this, this is... Hogan, like, claws at Undertaker, 
and Taker's response is to go, ah, motherfucker. <laughs> this is before we get to like the the, the half Boston crab. Oh, the, you mean right? the devastating half Boston crab? Yeah. I mean the you have Lance Storm backstage and you have someone else do a half Boston crab. Yeah, you better make it look better than this dog shit. This, <laughs> by the way, follows the most can't be fucked big boot Hogan has ever done in his life. The atomic leg drop attempt misses, and yeah, Taker puts on this really awful half crab. Hogan gets to the bottom rope. We get Taker's but 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 combo in the corner. Mm-hmm. Taker goes for a big boot of his own, but Hogan ducks, pulls the top rope down, and crutches Taker again. The the Undertaker's little dead man is not in a good way tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taker ducks a clothesline, slaps his hand around Hogan's neck, oh. and gives him a choke slam. And boy, JR, does he! Jr. notes Taker couldn't get Hogan all the way up, largely because Hogan simply couldn't get himself up. Well, yeah, uh, I feel as though we got to take a moment here. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ever look. Worst choke slam ever up. This is going to be on the top. In any form, this is probably the result you get. It's not good. It's not good at all. Hogan probably gets eight inches off the ground. (laughs) It might as well have just been a shove at that point. Yeah, it pretty much ended up being one. Yeah, it's. I genuinely remember this, like that, this match for that spot. It's pretty. I ugly. thought I was like, "Oh no, we're here," and then I saw it, and I was like, "Okay, well, okay, this is it then." And then Vietnam I was genuinely surprised that there was more to actually come from this match. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too, honestly. But I mean, I, I guess to be fair, if it had ended there, that would have been the worst thing ever. Hogan, which is what I was expecting. <laughs> well, yeah, that was pretty much what I was thinking going in. Hogan begins to hulk up, and for whatever reason. <gasps> Undertaker falls for the the obvious uh-huh. trap when he's the one guy who's been around long enough to know not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan hits the comeback, nails the big boot, hits the atomic leg drop, and only gets a two. A uh, legit kick out. Yeah. I uh, also didn't see that coming. No, me neither. Hogan throws Taker at the ropes and gets caught with a pretty nice looking DDT from Taker. Like yes. a, his, his standard jump in DDT looks really violent. And then out comes a very pissed off Vince McMahon, who's all over this guy. Ah! Ah, you son of a bitch! Ah, I just got back from backstage. I saw how much Jimi Hendrix was costing me. Take her! (laughs) Take him! (laughs) Take her brings a chair into the ring. Earl Hebner tries to take it from him, but simply falls over, apparently having collapsed under the weight of Undertaker's fearsome presence. (laughs) Undy, however, eats steel as Hogan boots the chair into his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nails the atomic leg drop, makes the cover, but oh, that rascal Vince McMahon, he's up on the apron for the distraction. Hogan gets up, throws Vince into the ring to do a punch at his face, and then gives him an atomic leg drop of his own. Vince sells the leg drop with a look on his face as if he's been shot between his vertebrae. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebner rolls Vince out of the ring, Taker clatters Hogan in the back with the chair, hits him with a choke slam. Picks up the win hey. and the WWE Championship at eleven seventeen. A significantly better choke slam that I actually yes. feared for when I saw him going for it a second time. <laughs> I feel as though Taker's like, "All right, you son of a bitch, you're going up this time. <laughs> we are doing it properly, whether you like it or not, you old fuck." Vince looks very, very pleased 
and Undertaker forces Earl Hebner to affix the belt around his waist. Which he does at about a 47 degree angle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before we get into the the post-match stuff then, what do you you reckon on this one? I mean, we... Taker Hogan, Judgment Day 2002. Yes. The the legend of that chokeslam is beyond anything to anyone that's mostly relevant to re- or uh, cognizant of wrestling of this era. If you if you've ever watched Botchamania, you have probably seen it. <laughs> it's actually not the worst match in the world in no, the sense that the, the timing helped it. Yes, it's much better than I thought it would be. I'll I'll say that much. And I'll be honest, I think this is comfortably the best match both of them have had on the podcast so far. Cuz they've had some stinkers. Yeah. I mean, neither man's like going to do a style that's you know, caught, like very much a a fan pleasing. Like no RVDs, no Kurt uh, Angles, no edges are in no. this match. And, uh, and and I do think it's worth pointing out as well that over the course of this podcast's timeline, Undertaker will actually become probably one of the best performers they have. Yes, but he's really in a downswing at this point. Undertaker's oh, yeah. career is a weird one because, like, he has a very high trajectory when he comes in then spends the largest point of a decade being not very fun, and then suddenly something clicks, and like he changes his style to this hybrid style, and all of a sudden he's fucking amazing. You mean around the time they've hired Mick Foley? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and starts having great matches with, instead of facing King Kong Bundy and oh, Giant yeah. Gonzalez and yeah. Mabel, he's people, fighting Mankind people, and Yeah, someone he can actually Vader. pick up for his moves, yeah. Yeah. People that are actually good wrestlers. But yeah, he's a he's again kind of on the downswing here, but he will pick up very, very sharply when he does, so Yes. Credit to Undertaker. I mean, I like Undertaker, as you know. I and for those of you that don't know, listen to this, I do have an Undertaker tattoo. I've got his logo yes. tattoo there, so I love the dead man, but I would... he's not been too hot around this period, so this was nice yeah. to see him a little better tonight. You and I are probably the two biggest Taker fans in NL. That's I would say one so. of the the reason I picked this mat or the show was uh, the fact that it was a Taker. I knew he was winning the title in the show, and I kind of wanted to be yeah. on because I haven't watched this show in forever. Mm. Uh, I do want to say there's a, like because this uh, you mentioned ninety one the Survivor Series that match ended with Ric Flair interfering at, with and then Taker using a chair to defeat Hogan, and oh, then hey, all these years go. later. Flair and Vince are having a thing, but Vince is the one interfering to let Taker use a chair to defeat Hogan. How very strange. Very interesting. I think this proves in canon that Undertaker is stronger than Hulk Hogan, so fuck Hulk Hogan. Yeah, well, uh, fuck Hulk Hogan indeed, especially since uh, we get to the post-match segment where Taker says, you know what? Jimi Hendrix really is costing us a little bit too much money. <laughs> I think I'll solve this problem by wrapping a chair around, the, or putting the base of a chair around your throat, and then slamming it into the ring, breaking your larynx. Oh my god, it's it's such a good spot. It's amazing. It becomes take take her signature maneuver. It's really, really like, and the thing is, well, it's one of those where even if you are not a fan of wrestling, it's like you can see how this hurts you know obviously yes. take doesn't really injure hogan with it probably you know hogan was probably walking around backstage and, oh he's really got me brother oh he really hurt me because hogan's a bitch but well, yeah. there's he no way one yeah exactly but like there's no way that taker is actually that reckless but this 
if you did it in a real fight, would be a fucking dangerous thing to do. So it's a cool, yes. convincing move. And as far as yes. I'm aware, it's only in three video games. 2K, sort it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Taker then beats the absolute fuck out of Hogan with the chair and throws that trash out of the ring as he poses with the belt and the show goes off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, the Hulk Hogan nostalgia tour has come to a crashing end and the wheels have fallen off the tour bus. Good night. Yep. And we'll never see him ever again. Uh, ever <laughs> again. <laughs> Do you know the weird thing about this? The whole thing with Vince interfering, I was like, are they really building this feud this early? Yeah. Because we don't get the payoff for this for a long old while. I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. But yeah, Hogan and Vince are going to be sort of on again, off again at one another's throats. This does kind of free up a lot of elements to do more interesting things. Hogan's going to do some more cool stuff coming up. He's got a very, very cool match that I'm looking forward to coming up. Uh, Taker, I think, much as the fans have loved seeing Hogan do the nostalgia act, I think having Taker on top kind of legitimizes the belt a little bit more because Hogan's still an old man. So, you know, it's, it's good to have someone they can actually believe in as the champion so that's good and again hopefully it's going to mean some fresh feuds wait a second i'm just shuffling through my notes what's that oh we're going to pick up the feud that we dropped two months ago fantastic i can hardly wait (laughs) but other than that yeah we got a few things on the horizon we've got an interesting return looming as well um and we have probably an equally interesting departure during the space of the same week. So things are going to get shaken up even further here in the early days of the Ruthless Aggression era. Slip! LT! What did you make of Judgment Day 2002, buddy? Uh, uh, in-ring action was very, very good. Um, Definitely, you can tell that we're not in the Attitude Era of six-minute matches that don't mean anything. Sure. Kind of pay-per-view filler matches, like your, an Al Snow, Val Venus type of thing. Yeah. Uh, these matches all feel very well composed. Well, most of them, I should say. It's even the short ones at least had a compelling storyline. Yeah. Uh, hot opener, RVD, Eddie were, was great. Edge and Angle was all time uh, mm, in terms yes. of entering action. Absolutely. Uh, Booker T's ass was out. So, <laughs> I mean, ten, 10 on 10, best show I've seen. 100%. Uh, <laughs> Usually, at the end of a show, I ask my co-host, uh, what is the high and low point of the night, in your opinion? What do we reckon? Uh, the high point, Booker T's ass. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole show was building up to that moment. I mean, the interview segment that we set up earlier, this mysterious woman who came out of nowhere, we don't know who she is, we don't know why she's here. Uh, the hotel that we don't know why is being sponsored or shown on the pay-per-view, <laughs> we just randomly show up in a hotel room. Uh, Booker T fucks with his... Uh, Dick still in his underwear. Uh, <laughs> a- Some people outside. are into frottage slip, and that's okay. Yeah, he, he's the dry humping master, that Booker T. Uh, Absolutely. No, hi, high moment besides that was uh, Edge and Angle. I mean, of course. those two could have gone another t- ten minutes, and I still would have been enthralled. Absolutely. Uh, they were the top of the show. Uh, nothing nothing past that match really uh, carried the momentum or garnered the reaction that they got from me. Sure. The low point, uh, besides Vince... Ogling Stacy for mm. very obvious reasons of that being a low point. Uh, it's got to be the ending of the Hell in a Cell match. 
Uh, it just did not connect. It was a wet fart on a, a show, on a match that really needed something memorable to cap uh, the whole thing. I think I'm inclined to agree on both fronts. Obviously, Edge and Angle was the clear match of the night, as I think we knew it was going to be. Uh, the Hell in a Cell was okay, but I think it was just okay. Yeah, You had a very slow, boring start. You had, as you said, a real wet fart of a finish. The middle was okay, but not particularly memorable. And again, if you're going to tease the crowd by doing, you know, climbing up to the cell roof and then not deliver, well, don't tease them is sort of the answer yeah. to that, isn't it? At the end of the day, I think the answer to people getting grumpy when they don't go outside the cell is, well, it's hell in a cell, not hell around or on a cell. So if you want to just have a match in the ring and at ringside with weapons, I think that's fine. And we will get that uh, with Triple H, actually, not too far into the distant future. Well, you know, a wise man once said, the cell is simply a cell. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I, we will leave you with those wise words <laughs> to live your life by. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna ask you, my good friend Slip, where can these lovely people find you online? Oh, uh, at Dual Three Thousand on everything. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm at New Legacy Slip on Twitter. Uh, just recently crossed ten thousand followers, which is beyond Ooh. surreal to me because i don't know up. why ten thousand people would care what the hell i have to say uh so that that's very nice and i appreciate any of all of you that follow me it's because you're uh, a lovely I, lovely lad that's why of course you can find me on the youtubes and the the twitches at with new legacy inc my boys lt oh. johnny blake dino sprite hertile jericho duel adam i think i said all of them if i didn't i'm going to be a real big piece of shit <laughs> but yes uh Twitch.tv slash New Legacy Inc. YouTube.com slash New Legacy Inc. I'm pretty sure we have that by now. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you, LT, for letting me ruin your podcast by being a part of it. Uh, uh, I, hey, I, every podcast I'm on, on goes down the, the toilet. So thank you well, for letting me do it to another era of wrestling. This has been the exception to the rule, then, because it's been lovely having you and lovely chatting with you. So thank you very much for joining us, Slip. It's been lovely having you here. Hope to have you back on in future. And I will see you guys on the other side of the ad break for Things and Stuff. Started in 2015, the Bar God cast was started by three mates looking to watch and critique every WrestleMania in order. As Andy, Ian and Lewis explore the history of marquee WWE pay-per-views, they also have to navigate the problematic business practices of one Vince McMahon. And as a result, they now watch and review pay-per-views from other promotions. So join us as we desperately cling on to any semblance of love for professional wrestling on the wonderfully intermittent wrestling podcast, The Bar God Cast. Before we jump into today's profile segment, I want to thank our newest patron over at patreon.com forward slash relived. Backing at the £7 undisputed tier is... Big Gooch. I assume that's not what's written on Mr. Big's birth certificate, but hey, who knows? Uh, Gooch and everyone else at that tier has instant access to not just future Q&A episodes, but also video watch-along episodes, yes. In fact, backers at that tier get to tell me what show to cover on those watch-along episodes. Uh, any wrestling show up to the night before our timeline is uh, fair game. So yeah, any show up to and including WrestleMania 18 could well get a watch-along episode at that tier on the Patreon. Uh, currently available 
uh, is the first such watch along as myself and John Porter watch Insurrection 2000 and that's also available on a audio version if you back at the £7 tier so you'll get video and audio the choice is yours you can take it with you in the car to the gym whatever you like we like to give you options here and don't forget you can back the show from as little as £1 and receive instant access to our Discord uh, as well as a look at the slate of upcoming episodes if you back at £4 and up you'll receive access to exclusive video and audio episodes covering WWE merchandise contemporary with our timeline such as the Forcible Entry music album and some of the WWE magazines up to now and the continued support of each of our backers remains truly humbling to me and it, it really does help the continued production of the show if you're all interested Head over to patreon.com forward slash RA Relived for more information. Thanks, guys. And now, let's delve into the annals of wrestling history as we cast an eye over one of today's headliners. While his nostalgia tour may have ended, we can still be nostalgic about the good old days. It's time to take a look at Hulk Hogan, brother. Oh, uh, but since we can't afford Jimi Hendrix either... Born on the 11th of August 1953, Terry Eugene Belair had no concept that he would become the most famous professional wrestler of all time. As a matter of fact, Belair didn't even become a wrestling fan until he was 16. His wrestling idol was the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Little could the young Belair have realised he would one day end up working alongside the Dream. At an event at the Tampa Sportatorium, Terry's attention was captured by superstar Billy Graham. The charismatic, muscular Graham is a wrestler the WWE would later describe as 20 years too soon, noting his character work and physique was well ahead of the curve of professional wrestling. Terry was particularly inspired by Superstar's physique and trained hard to achieve a similar body. This hard work paid off when legendary Floridian tag team Jack and Jerry Briscoe spotted Belair as he played bass guitar in his band. The Briscoes convinced Belair to become a wrestler, and he'd spend a year training under Hiro Matsuda. Belair would work in various territories in North America, eventually teaming up with lifelong best friend Ed Leslie. The duo worked as the Boulder Brothers, Terry and Ed Boulder. If you're wondering where he got his more famous moniker, however, that would be down to a chance appearance on a talk show in Memphis, where Belair found himself seated beside Lou Ferrigno, the actor that played the Incredible Hulk. Despite Ferrigno's own impressive physique, Terry managed to dwarf him, from there on wrestling as Terry, the Hulk, Boulder. It would be in 1979 that the next piece of the puzzle fell into place, as Terry would work for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, where promoter Vincent J. McMahon would tweak his ring name to Hulk Hogan. The rest, naturally, is history. Not every wrestling fan knows this, but Hogan's initial run in the WWF was as a heel, with classy Freddie Blassie in his corner. However, following runs in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he worked a surprisingly more technical style, and the American Wrestling Association, Hogan was effectively turned face by the AWA fans, who adored his natural charisma. It was in the AWA that Hogan would begin the greatest rivalry of his career, against rotten scoundrel manager Bobby the Brain Heenan. Hogan would return to McMahon's company, now son Vincent K. McMahon's World Wrestling Federation, in late 1983. For the benefit of fans unfamiliar with Hogan's AWA work, for such was the nature of the Territory era, he was hastily confirmed a babyface. And for good reason. 
On January 23, 1984, Hogan headlined a WWF show at Madison Square Garden, facing the Iron Sheik for the WWF Championship. Hogan won the match and the championship. The era of Hulkamania had arrived. Hogan was the face of the company, the face of the industry, and the face of the era, as the rock and wrestling connection created an unprecedented boom in interest in professional wrestling. Hogan's star only continued to rise, as he would hold the WWF Championship for the largest part of six years in this run with the company, four of which occurring during this initial title reign. Only Bruno Sammartino held the championship for longer than Hogan, and the top three spots, the third being Bob Backlund, seem unassailable by the standards of modern wrestling. In addition, Hogan would headline eight of the first nine WrestleManias, including the first, teaming with Mr. T against Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, yes, non-fans, that Mr. T, the sixth against Ultimate Warrior, the fifth against Randy Savage, and possibly the most famous wrestling match of all time, the main event of WrestleMania three against Andre the Giant. But, well, this was the problem. After a decade of Hogan on top, with him almost never losing a match, and absolutely never losing a feud, a lot of the fans were tiring of the act. For many, WrestleMania IX was the last straw. The event was supposed to be headlined by Bret Hart and Yokozuna for the WWF Championship. So when Hogan left as champion after an impromptu match, completely killing the momentum of both Hart and Yokozuna in the process, a lot of fans simply gave up. As the Golden Age ended, and WWF entered the new generation, Hogan seemingly retired from wrestling to focus on his acting. Without wishing to sound too sneering, it was fairly clear that Hogan was never going to make it as a leading man on the silver screen. So an old friend and former WWF colleague, Mean Gene Oakland, now working for World Championship Wrestling, visited Hogan on the set of his TV series, Thunder in Paradise. It didn't take much convincing for him to sign a WCW contract. Now, unfortunately, the WCW fans weren't particularly buying what Hogan was selling, with a return to the same formula as in the WWF, and a 15-month WCW championship reign doing little to win them over. If Hogan was going to remain a megastar in wrestling, he would need freshening up. Something unthinkable would have to happen. July 7th, 1996 WCW held Bash at the Beach at Daytona Beach, Florida. The main event saw Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger defend the honour of WCW against the Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and their mystery opponent, the much-vaunted Third Man. During the match, Hogan made his way to the ring, seemingly to aid the WCW loyalists, only to turn on them and reveal he was the Third Man all along. Hogan, renaming himself Hollywood Hulk Hogan, would do away with his famous red and yellow attire, and wear the black and white of the group he, Hall and Nash would form that day, the New World Order. The NWO would expand in scope, and run roughshod over WCW almost until the company's demise in 2001. For the first time, a wrestling company had heels who were so cool that the fans wanted to cheer them over a number of the established babyfaces. The NWO were one of the key factors in WCW's Nitro broadcast, defeating WWF's Raw shows for 83 consecutive weeks in American television ratings. As a result, they were also the catalyst 
for Vince McMahon finally accepting the new generation, by and large, was not working. He would reinvent his programming with what we now know as the Attitude Era. The Monday Night Wars were well and truly on. Unfortunately, over time, many of the fans would grow tired of the NWO. It would be an untruth, and indeed was an untruth when the WWE spoke it, to suggest that WCW never made any new stars. However, it would not be an untruth to say it rarely mattered in the long term when these new stars either joined the NWO or lost to them. The NWO eventually became comically bloated, with dozens of members and offshoots, to the point that the WWE today only recognised four members as a hardline approach, those four being Hogan, Hall, Nash and Sean Waltman. While the WWF was creating some of its most scintillating television of all time, with the likes of The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H and Mankind, WCW fans, tiring of the NWO, started to tune out in their droves. As the NWO petered out somewhat, a change in staff backstage would similarly change Hogan's fortunes. Former WWF head writer Vince Russo had left the WWF to take the equivalent position in WCW. Russo's creative vision did not gel with Hogan's creative control clause in his contract. Today, fans often quip, that doesn't work for me, brother, when alluding to a wrestler wanting a change in a finish. At July 2000's Bash at the Beach, four years after he'd first joined the NWO, Russo wanted Hogan to drop the WCW Championship to Jeff Jarrett, a longtime friend of Russo's. Jarrett, in turn, would drop the belt to Booker T, a star Russo believed was long overdue for a run on top. Hogan didn't care for the plan. In the end, a compromise was reached where Jarrett would seemingly throw the match, Hogan would decry the state of WCW and leave with the belt, and a new championship would be created for Jarrett and Booker to fight over, effectively creating an interim champion situation. However, the only problem was, after Hogan left, having successfully pulled the wool over the eyes of the fans, making them think he really was walking out with the belt, Russo made his way to the ring to vent his real-life frustrations against Hogan. Not only was this probably not terribly professional, it also violated Hogan's creative control clause. Hogan did not return to WCW. When the company was purchased by the WWF, he elected to sit out his Turner contract. Come February of 2002, however, Hogan was ready to return to the ring. He accepted an offer to return to the WWF with he, Hall and Nash debuting at that month's No Way Out pay-per-view event, with the NWO copyright now being the property of the WWF, allowing the company to try their hand with arguably WCW's greatest creation. Hogan would clash with The Rock, and the latter would challenge Hogan to a match at WrestleMania 18. The match is one of the most well-remembered in company history, as the Toronto fans at WrestleMania refused to boo Hogan, with some even booing The Rock instead. A visibly touched Hogan was clearly somewhat overwhelmed by the emotion, but he and The Rock put on what was the most memorable match of the night, a true passing of the torch moment as The Rock defeated Hogan. In light of the fans' reaction, the complexion of the match altered, and Hogan was forced to turn babyface essentially immediately. Effectively on the fly, he sided with The Rock against Hall and Nash as they attacked after the match. The following night on Raw, Hogan cemented his babyface turn, 
having truly gone back to how the fans wanted to remember him. Of course, if you want to pick up from there, ye need only hop back to our first episode. Hulk Hogan is a sadly controversial figure in professional wrestling these days. In front of the cameras, he is perhaps the greatest of all the superhero wrestlers. Yet, behind the scenes, Hogan built up a reputation for being untrustworthy, a politician, and, well, worse. Though admittedly, the worst hadn't come to light yet, and is perhaps best discussed at another time. All the same, however, he almost unquestionably belongs on any Mount Rushmore of all-time wrestling greats. There is no denying the impact the man had on the professional wrestling industry. Without Hulk Hogan, the business may not even exist as we know it today. Whatever your thoughts on Terry Bollea the man, Hulk Hogan managed to not only be one of wrestling's greatest villains, but also, perhaps, its greatest hero. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Ruthless Aggression Relived. I want to once again thank Slip for joining me, and remember you can find him on Twitter at NewLegacySlip, and you can find him and the rest of the NL boys, myself included, on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch under the username NewLegacyInc. That's Inc as in Incorporated, I-N-C. Next time, we're doing something a little different. It's going to be a double header. We are taking a look back at the 25th of May 2002 to round off that month, with a look at two debuting WWE series. We'll be covering the first episode of Velocity, as well as the first episode of Confidential. Confidential can be found on the WWE Network if you'd like to check that out, and Velocity can be found if you know where to look. I'm not going to tell you how to suck eggs. You guys know where to find wrestling online, I'm sure. You can find us on Twitter at RARelived, email us via ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com, and you can support us for as little as £1 a month over at patreon.com forward slash RARelived. And if you really feel adventurous, you can find me on Twitter at LTDangerous. It's my personal account, you can hurl abuse at me. Until next time, guys, thanks ever so much for listening. I've been LT Fletcher, and we'll see you next time, brother. Brother.